It is time for some NFL football, NFL Week 1 game previews. Just like the last few years, we will preview every single game of the NFL season for you. Good games, bad games, huge spreads, tiny spreads, whatever. We're going to talk about every single game with Eric from Etoff to One Sports. Now, because of the timing of when the podcasts come out, sometimes you won't be able to catch the Thursday night game on here. We'll still talk about it, but you can always catch that on social media. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B, or if you follow my YouTube channel and subscribe there, we'll always have that on Wednesday night. We'll actually do the full recording. So if you want to get this even earlier on Wednesday night, you can do so. Make sure you're following me on social media. That way you can hear about the Thursday night game uh, before Thursday. Lots of racing. Friday would buy an early pick five preview. It's closing weekend at Del Mar. So we're going to go Friday Del Mar and Saturday Del Mar best bets. Woodbine has two graded stakes races on Saturday. We're going to preview both of those. And then we'll get to Louisiana Downs. It's also closing week for them. Two best bets for Saturday. So Friday, Woodbine Del Mar. Saturday, Woodbine Del Mar, Louisiana. Then we finish up with wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk about CM Punk. He was fired. We talk about AEW All Out, AEW Dynamite Collision, WWE Payback, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Cindy Carava, full service realtor, Cindy Carava. Make sure to head to her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full service realtor, she can help you with buying with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of lenders if you need help with you know, the, uh, the, the loan process. If you need help with home improvement, she can connect you with the right type of vendors like gardeners, painters, landscapers, all sorts of folks that she has great experience with and that she's worked with. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Move on into football. NFL week number one is upon us. It is here. Eric joins me and he will join me each and every week to talk about each and every game. We're here. We've played these games for decades now. We've been betters, fantasy players, bookmakers on all sides of it. And now we want to share whatever we've been lucky enough to hear from other people through the years. Along with all of you, let's have a great NFL season coming up right now. It's time for another year of NFL football. We have our game-by-game previews for every single game of the NFL season coming up. This is year number three, where Eric's going to be with me for every game to preview. Eric, uh, this is year number four, when we've been talking. I know the first year you uh, started talking trash to me one time, and then we became buddies online and uh, brought you on the show. But it's been, I think, the third year now where we're going to have talked about every single game and it feels like for now the schedule at least will be able to be on Wednesday so that way we can get the Thursday game previewed also yeah looking forward to being able to talk about the Thursday game I always feel like the Thursday game there's certain angles you can kind of take advantage of and uh hopefully we can make you guys some money this year okay well if you are just tuning in Eric and I have done previews of every team over the last couple months, we went division by division. I've posted those on social media a bunch. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B. I just posted them recently again on Tuesday, so you can check them out. Um, if you want to go 
by particular team, by particular division, whatever you'd like. But now what's nice is things have changed a little bit. We'll be able to talk about how things look heading into the weekend. And then Eric and I are also going to be part of a couple other shows throughout football season. Friday night, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, we'll be on the winning ticket, which is presented by DRF Sportsbook. If you follow DRF Sportsbook, you can catch the stream there, and Eric and I will always share it. Uh, That will be a show where we give out Half college football, half NFL. We'll each give out like three or four plays. We'll talk about any of the big games coming up for the weekend. And then we'll do the same thing for NFL. We'll give out a few of our best bets there. Talk about the big weekend game. So you'll get a little bit of that. Then on Sunday mornings, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, you'll have me and Eric giving you all the last minute up-to-date information. We'll talk about how uh, any bets that we've locked in, maybe uh, any DFS lineups that we're playing. That can be a little bit more DFS heavy, I think, Eric probably on Sunday morning, right? Where we really get an idea of what the lineups look like and who's playing and everything. Yeah. We can really get, get it in. Maybe, maybe like at the end, you and I can just for giggles, build a millionaire maker lineup. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this week, this year, again, we'll go for it. If you're up for it, I didn't even run this by you, but we, we have a lot of similarities in games we play. We'll try to come together and agree on five plays for the weekend that we both like, that we both think are strong. That would be if you're, you know, if you're playing in any contest or uh, the Millie Maker contest they have uh, at the the uh, the what is it the the Superbook, the Westgate Superbook. So any of those contests, if you're playing, we'll give you some of our best bets. We'll do our best to get you all the the best information that you can and uh, talk about plays that we made, how numbers have moved. It's always going to be about value when we're previewing these NFL games. A couple things to start about before uh, to start with before we get into the Thursday night game. 14 playoff rematches on the schedule this year. That is the most in NFL history. We're going to get a rematch of the Super Bowl, a rematch of both conference championship games, all four division round games, and three of the four wildcard games. All of those. Run it back. We're getting them again. Scoring was down a little bit last year, averaging 43.8 points per game, which was a five-year low. Roughing the passer calls were down. Defensive pass interference calls were down. That was one of the reasons why there was less scoring, less free yards given out. Running the ball was also up. Last year, teams averaged 121.6 rushing yards per game, which was the most since 1987. Teams averaged 27.3 rushing attempts per game, which was the most since 2011. Uh, this year we're going to have five games in Europe, three in London, two in Germany. We'll have a Black Friday game for the first time, day after Thanksgiving. Some things to look for. They are going to be more restrictive with the hitting of the helmet. They're really going to try to crack down because of the concussions, Eric. We saw what happened last year with Tua. So anything that's close with the helmet call, they're just going to call. Even if it doesn't look like you led with the helmet, they're really going to be doing that. Also, some changes on the kickoff returns. If a kick is anywhere inside the 25-yard line, the receiving team can signal for a fair catch, and the ball will be placed at the 25. They're just hoping to cut down on some of those high-speed collisions where the, you get a lot of concussions because concussions were up 18% overall last year. They've even designed a new helmet for the quarterbacks to give them better protection. Um, one thing that makes it a little bit uh, worrisome, Eric, and we're going to mention this as we go through a lot of the teams. I don't know if it's just me, uh, but a few things I've read have kind of said the same thing. It really feels like the start of this year, we're already in a bad place for a lot of these teams with their offensive lines. Like they're just not a lot of depth. Even the teams that have really good lines, 
it's like one or two of those pieces get hurt, they may be in a little bit of trouble. So, man, like always, and I think even more this year, it feels like the offensive line being able to win in the trenches is going to separate you. I mean, obviously, it's one of those things when a team builds up so much depth at the offensive line, people are going to, how can I say this? People are going to want to poach that depth. Exactly, yeah. And that's what's basically happening. And you're seeing that some of these teams, like, they just don't have the depth. And because it's gone, and now they have to just redevelop the farm system, quote, quote, unquote. The DVOA metrics are something you'll hear me talk a lot about as the season gets on more, because as of right now, they're just the predictors. And talking, we can talk about some things that happened last year, but it's a different year. So I like to start really diving into them and you know, week three, four, and then above, once you get a, the biggest sample size, then you really start getting a good idea uh, at uh, at what those metrics are. But they're predicting, as we expected, eight of the top 11 teams to come from the AFC. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean in wins and losses. That means just overall, who are the best teams based on down-to-down, play-to-play? How good are they over your you know expected value, over average? Cowboys, Bills, Chiefs, Jets, 49ers, Eagles, Browns, Ravens, Bengals, Chargers, some of the top teams, your Lions just behind that. Um, and uh, let's dive in. Eric, we have Thursday night football to talk about. We're looking at the betting lines over at DRF Sportsbook, and uh, we'll give you a nice promo code to use right now if you're in the state of Iowa. That is Fast 350, correct, Eric, for anyone in the state of Iowa that wants to sign up and play along? Yep, Fast 350, use it. Um, I have a link on my website for it. I'll take you right to it. And uh, they are, uh, is there a deposit match that goes with that too? All the way up to 350 bucks. So a $350 deposit match bonus. Take advantage of that. Maybe you like the Lions. Eric, this number has moved a little bit. It opened like way early uh, in like the seven range, six and a half range. But we heard Kelsey got hurt. And now this number has moved down in the last couple days and it's settling closer to four and a half. So the chiefs are around a four and a half favorite in here. We're looking at an over under on DRS Sportsbook That's about 52 or so. Let's talk about your Detroit lions kicking off the season. My friend. Well, first things first. Um, I mean, I, I, I obviously Kelsey's Kelsey, you kind of look at how many third down receptions he had, the con- third down conversion rate and everything. Huge. So not him not being there. Obviously, Mahomes does have trust in him. What is the third down? Um, who? Yeah, who is down, it? Who's going to be the third down receiver? That's number one. Number two, how is this new offensive line? They brought in some new pieces. How are they going to gel together this first game? Uh, Biennemi's been there forever. Nagy's taking over. I mean, is that going to be anything? But I really think the main thing is, is you just kind of look at the splits when Chris Jones, the defensive tackle – for the Chiefs is on Who's the still holding out the as of now, yeah. right? He's not going to play. Even if yeah. he does play, he hasn't been practicing. Yeah, exactly. What so, kind of shape is he going to be in? You look at the quarterback's success rate. You look at the other team's opposing rush rate. So that fares well for the Lions. Also, the Chiefs lost Frank Clark. So there's a huge point of attack that I think the Lions are going to be able to take advantage of. Especially with that awesome offensive line. Yeah. I was really hoping to get the seven. When I heard the Kelsey news break, I locked it in at six, but I'll say what right now, I think this is a pure stay away. I know it's kind of in that middle 
dead zone because we have some major question marks, like you said, and they're very valid with the uh, with Kansas City. Uh, I think with their skill position players, not exactly sure. Maybe takes a game or two. It's crazy how good Mahomes has been in week one. If you look at some of his stats in week one, this like otherworldly incredible. I think Reed has been nine and one with Kansas City. They've averaged 36.4 points per game in those games in the eight wins. Um, uh, Mahomes has started five. He's won all five, 37.8 points. But keep in mind, those have been games with like Kelsey and with a little bit more of a, a fluid offense where they knew each other. The Lions last year, one thing where they struggled with, they allowed 5.2 yards per carry, which was one of the worst in the league. So they got to stop the run. And that's one thing we think Kansas City is going to try to do a little bit more this year. When the Lions were successful last year, Eric, five of their final six wins, those wins came when they held an opponent to 18 points or less. We saw the defensive line start to improve a little bit. That defensive line is such a key for them, right? Because if that can be better than expected or if they can make some plays and take a little bit of the pressure off the offense, I I think overall your defense should be a little bit better. The secondary seems like it's going to be much improved, I think, for your Lions too. Let's talk about that side of the ball a little bit on the defensive side because now what are they going to be able to do to try to slow down Mahomes? They're going to have to basically just not let the guys get behind them, you know, kind of keep everything in front, hope that much the rest of the pass rush can get home. Um, Just real quick, some interesting trends. Mahomes, 47% ATS is a favorite. 44% ATS is a home favorite. From a three and a half point to a seven point favorite, he is only at home. He's only 27%. In this range right here. Number. Um, Another trend I found last year, quarterbacks, that didn't play in the preseason were one in six ATS. Golf didn't play this preseason. So how, you know what I mean? What's golf going to look like? Is this a trend? Yeah, yeah. Was it just a fluky thing? Just kind of something to, to remember. But I really feel that with the defense, them making the additions like they did, I think Brian Barrage, I think the rest of the DBs they brought in is going to help the secondary a lot. I think Hutchinson's going to be able to get home. And obviously not having to defend Kelsey is a big one because when you look at these wide receivers, who really scares you? And Kadarius Tony is a modern-day Percy Harvey. Percy Harvin, he's just waiting to get hurt. They're just so unproven, Sky Moore. We don't know exactly what we're going to get from him, I think. And then if Kelsey plays, he's definitely not going to be 100%. And if you can really try to lean on him a little bit and make the other guys beat you, just put a, put a little pressure on them. Because whereas last year... It wasn't like they they lost a bunch of fantastic players, but they did lose Juju Smith and Nicole Hardman. That's 135 targets between the two of them, yeah. you know, from last year. Uh, you mentioned it. There's like lots of little things. You know, Chris Jones is out. Uh, Biennemi left. So maybe it takes a little bit just to get on the, the same page with new receivers, quarterback, new receivers, new offensive coordinator kind of all coming together. This team's played a lot of games. I don't know if it's going to impact them right now, right? First game of the year, you're going to be up. It's your home game, but maybe later as the season goes on. Though we talked about they've hosted five consecutive AFC championship games. That's like starting to get to the point where you're going to be another season of of played games, you know, through your playoffs. They've been playing a lot, like, you know, and we talked about it. Like, I was worried about Kelsey going into the season. Unfortunately, he got hurt. 
Um, yep. And they're just they're the the skill position players for them have to prove it to us. And maybe they will. Maybe Sky Moore jumps up. Maybe Tony can stay healthy. And this looks like a really good spot for him. We just haven't seen it. The running backs room is Pacheco and McKinnon. You feel like McKinnon will come back to life a little bit last year. He had an incredibly efficient year last year where he was scoring touchdowns and catching passes at like a ridiculous rate. That's very hard to sustain generally. Um, Over on the Lions side, you know, you've got an offense that brought back the same offensive coordinator who was a head coach candidate and they have a couple different pieces, but overall they're pretty intriguing because, because what's nice is they can lean on that really good offensive line. So Goff now should be comfortable with Amon Ross St. Brown. He's going to lean on him. He's become one of the best wide receivers in the league. Then after him, sort of a lot of veterans that are going to be filling in. And it really looks like they're very high on the two young guys, Eric. I think we're going to see a lot of them. This may be a spot where you can really attack against Kansas city too, like the middle of the field defensively there. Um, I, I think that might be a really good spot to try to attack because you're going to have Gibbs, the rookie. You're going to also have the other rookie, Sam Laporta tight end. Those guys can operate across the middle where it looks like the running back Gibbs is going to be coming out of the slot a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, St. Brown's going to be lined up in the slot. I mean, I think if you're going to play a player prop. St. Brown over is the bank is the one you got to kind of look at. Um, I don't know. I kind of, but I kind of feel like with the line movement, you know, the it, there's nothing are, to, it's hard to play. Yeah. It's, just, the right now. it's hard to play. Yeah. It's hard to play for me. It's in the middle of that spot. Um, if this thing went down to like to four and to three and a half, I would jump on the chief side for now. I'm happy to have football back. Just going to watch this one. As uh, we move to game two, Eric, we've got Arizona at Washington. So this is going to be a hot survivor pick. I think for a lot of people, because, while Washington is going to be starting Sam Howell, Arizona on the flip side is going to be starting a quarterback who has only th- – they have a new GM, a new coach, no J.J. Watt, no Hopkins, no Murray. They traded their eighth overall pick from 2020 Simmons to the Giants for a seventh-round pick. They traded Josh Jones, a good tackle, to the Texans. Now Josh Dobbs is starting. He has 85 career passing attempts, and Clayton Toon is the backup. He's a rookie. So – this team has two first round draft picks next year. They don't want to win. And I think I haven't really liked some of the videos I've seen about their coach, kind of some weird kind of goofy clips going around. Yeah. The motivational one. That's, is, that was, that was, uh, that was funky. I, I mean, I'm not going to play the commanders laying seven here in any way, shape or form, but I'm going to definitely have this one probably in one of my survivor pools picks, because that way, if it works out, you can save, you know, some of the other good teams for later in the year. Not sure how many times the commanders are going to be a seven point favorite, you know, in their games. And just thinking about where Arizona is going to struggle with their quarterback play. And man, at where, where Washington should really be fantastic is the defensive front, right? They're going to make life really difficult on a, a couple, possibly even young unproven quarterbacks for sure. At least Dobbs right away. So um, I don't really have anything to play in here. I'm kind of curious to see how how inept Arizona looks out there because they've sort of uh, now become the consensus team that's going to be the worst team overall. And I think a lot of people just know they don't want to win and we're not really sure what's going to happen with uh, Kyler Murray. I don't really know if I have like a play in here at all either way, but I wanted to mention because I had thought at least, you know, a lot of survivor people out there probably jump in on this one. Here's the thing. 
you're going to bet it, it sucks. It absolutely sucks. But if you're going to bet it, you have to bet the Cardinals. The way yeah, I look at it. Absolutely. Like as soon as it hits seven or like in the six range, yeah. for sure. The way I hook the way I look at it is this. Who is Sam Howell in his second start to be laying this many points? None. Nobody. Shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It should, from a point spread standpoint, it's just it's crazy. It looking at the rosters of the two teams, you can understand why. Because I mean it, there there's a world where Washington doesn't even have to do anything offensively, you know, and they just run the ball. Don't even have Howell make any, any sort of crazy passes whatsoever. They get two or three defensive turnovers and just can run it and pound it in. It's just like a low scoring, ugly game that Washington wins like 17 to six or something. Right. You know, on the flip side, who is the, who has the most bets on them right now? Commanders. Yeah. You know, I just, Rivera, I would play this game under 41, 41% ATS is a favorite. Yeah. And this is just betting one one a, a game with a low total and a high number. You always but, want to take the dog. Yeah. I mean, you're, Oh, there's no way I would in a million years lay. But the lay thing seven. is like, you really want to bet. What, what would you have set this line? Like, what would you set this line at to, to make it feel the most fair on both sides? I'd say probably right where the first one was four, four and a half. Yeah. Yep. Four, four and a half. So if you feel like you can get a couple points anytime and you're right there with that magic number of seven, especially if you're waiting around throughout the weekend, this number floats up to seven and a half, then it's probably the other way because we see this happen where bad teams can come out for a game or two and then they'll be bad the rest of the year. But we really don't know what to expect from Washington. I do just expect their defense to be good. I expect that and the, the front and young this year, it's a contract year for him. Like, I think that's one thing we can count on with these two teams, but you're saying what Sam Howell, what if he's turning the ball over a couple times and he's not able to complete passes and, and like McLaurin has some toe issue. It's not like if he's out of the game, what line. then you have Dotson is your it's one like the offensive line is like that stellar. No, for the no. commanders. So, so like, give me for me, it's cards or bust. I have not pulled the trigger yet. Cause I don't know no. if I want to, I don't know if I want to drink that bleach on week one. Yeah. We'll be playing them a lot come, you know, the later parts of the season. Um, new defensive coordinator has them putting a lot more pressure on the quarterback in their first two preseason games. Secondary, very unproven for Arizona. Uh, on the commander's side, they were third in yards allowed per game last year defensively on the positive side and had the NFL's best third down defense a co- conversion percentage of only 31.9. They want to build on that. Offensive line, though, four, uh, they have new starters at four positions and not really top tier talent. No first rounders, only one that was a second rounder. Uh, can the enemy help them? That offense last year was 27th in points per game, 29th in yards per play, and had the third lowest total QBR. Commanders, big favorite here against the Cardinals. Let's move along, Eric. Where are we headed next? The Panthers and the Falcons. You and I are pretty high on. Atlanta this year and they open up in a with really nice spot at home against a division rival and a young quarterback with a bad offensive line. That's the thing about uh, the Panthers. They have a high ceiling, I guess if, if young is good and he's ready to go right now, but the Panthers don't really have a good offensive line at all. They just placed their right guard Corvette on the PUP list. He's out the first four games of the year. 
He's been one of the top 20, like five guards in the NFL each of his, the last three years. Filling in for him is going to be a rookie who has not performed well in the preseason in a limited sample size. So keep an eye on the right guard side. That could be a tough place uh, to, to watch on the offensive line. And then they don't really have a number one wide receiver here. I wasn't that high on Bryce Young and his size. So we have a small quarterback. He doesn't have a whole lot of help at the skill position pl- uh, positions. DJ Shark, Adam Thielen, Jonathan Mingo, Hayden Hurst. Those are going to be his best pass catchers. I, I, he doesn't have a whole lot of help there, Eric. He doesn't have a nice offensive line to stand behind. It's going to buy him a lot of time. And then for the Falcons, this team, I don't think enough people are talking about how improved their defense could be. That was one of the highlights you and I discussed when, when talking about them. They have a new defensive coordinator who was the co-defensive coordinator of the Saints last year. He brought in a couple pieces from their defense, guys who had five and seven sacks last year. Um, they have Bates, Campbell, Bud Dupree, Onyemata, Caden Ellis, Akuda, Mike Hughes, all new faces on the defensive line. Terrell had a bad year last year, but he had a good, great year a couple years ago. He's likely to bounce back and be somewhere in the middle. It's probably not quite as bad or not quite as good as he was in extremes either of those two years. The and, and then the positive for them, Eric, is from a quarterback standpoint, I, it's not like I think Ritter is going to be the best quarterback in the league, but by a lot of metrics that I looked at, Mariota was horrible last year just throwing the ball. He couldn't do anything down the field. It made Pitts and London just nothing. Like they couldn't get the ball down the field at all. If Ritter is just not one of the worst two or three out of like 35 or 40 quarterbacks, he's going to be an upgrade on what they were getting last year. They're going to be better in the running game with Bijan Robinson. They're going to be better in the offensive line, equally as strong and good as they were last year. And I think their defense is going to be really good. You're super high on their coach. I just, I mean, are we going to play this at three and a half? I think they win easily here. I just, it's, it's, I don't love the number. No real, no real value on the number. I mean, if this is down to three, maybe I'll be on the Falcons. Um, I think this kind of could be the survivor pick. You can kind of look to take a rookie quarterback on the lot on it. And let's face it, the two most popular picks, probably one of the two is going to lose. Yep. It always does. It's Washington or the Ravens, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I would, that's the only thing I would do here. I, you know, and Burnsy. Burns, who's the best pass rusher for the Panthers, he wants a new contract. It doesn't look like he's going to play. So that's another thing. Are they going to be able to get to Ritter, make him off, make him uncomfortable? I don't know. I just, I just think that the Panthers don't have enough to disrupt Ritter. I think with Jarrett and Campbell, they're going to be able to get to Young, make his life a little hard. And at the end of the day, you have a rookie quarterback going on the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, With, I'm, without a whole lot of good weapons and without a great offensive yeah. line, like he's not in a in a spot to succeed. I mean, I I like Atlanta quite a bit in here, but I just don't I don't want to play them in that number. Right? Yeah. That they, yeah, they're gonna, I think they handle them, but yeah. We move to Cincy at the Browns, so a big divisional game for the Bengals and the Browns right off the bat. We have on the Cleveland side, Sedarius Smith healthy to add with 
Miles Garrett. It's a lethal pass rush right there. Garrett was the most double teamed edge rusher in the league last year, getting double teamed on more than 31% of his plays. If you're getting some help from Smith, teams aren't going to be able to do that. Uh, an already strong offensive line got even stronger. This is one of a few teams that has some depth. They drafted t- uh, an offensive tackle named Jones who fell to the fourth round. In the preseason, he only allowed three total pressures on 148 pass-blocking snaps, which was actually the most snaps that any offensive lineman had. One of the few teams that seems to really have some depth there. Now it's up to Watson. Is he going to be the top five guy that he was a few years ago or the bottom five guy that he was last year? I think he's somewhere in between because he's set up very well with that offensive line with a good running back. And he has some really nice weapons there. I think they brought in Elijah Moore who will help a little bit. Uh, Amari Cooper had a quietly really nice year last year. They have a couple options at tight end. Donovan people Jones is like sort of a really solid under the radar. Number three ish wide receiver. Um, I mean, I, I like the, the Browns in this spot. It depends on what kind of number you're getting or what kind of number you've received. Uh, This number right now is still around two and a half here. At some spots, it's kind of dipped down a little bit. Um, This is the best tip I can give for, um, for betting. We've definitely seen a shift like more illegal shots. Um, But even with more illegal shots, the whole offshore game is way more, is just way ahead in the yes. line movement, mm-hmm. more sharp players play on the offshores just because you can get more limits. Down. You're not limited. Yeah. You're not you're getting not limited. limited. As much. So you're starting to see on bookmaker that crisis, you're starting to see this dip down to two. Yeah. That kind of speaks that we're going to see it in the regulated market get down to two too soon. So I would, I would take the Lock, two and a half. Yeah, um, I think you take it right now because that's the, the side to be. You know, the few last few years, the Bengals have had slow starts, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the third. Uh, each of his three prior years, Burrow has had missed the camp or had abbreviated camps, and in, in those three years, they lost two of the three games. All three of those games are actually really close. Um, they were all separate, uh, separated by just three points. Um, and he's only one in four in his career against the Browns. I, I think it's a good spot to take the Brownies in here. Very good spot. Um, my thing is this, is I look at it, and I'm going to say this angle a lot. We have a home divisional dog, 66%. That's 25 and 13. Love the Browns here. The main thing is you mentioned Cooper. You mentioned Elijah Moore. The Bengals took a big hit in the back four. So is that back four, is that going to be able to hold up against this elite loop group of wide receiver? The Browns do have the best offensive line in the NFL. I think they're going to keep Reader and crew intact. Um, and then They might be able to attack the, the secondary a little bit here too because the starting safeties both left in free agency. And they added, uh, those were players that were in all 19 games last year and the playoffs. Hill was a first round pick and is expected to play every down. And Nick Scott is in his first year uh, after playing with the Rams. And they should be okay players, maybe even very good down the line, but they may, you may be able to tack them early because they're just not used to being every down guys early on. Um, 
yeah, like I, I think they're going to be able to throw all day, and I think they're going to use Chubb to open up the passing game. And Watson was one of the best RPO quarterbacks in his time with the Texans. You get that RPO, RPO going behind this offensive line um, and Chubb. Like, I think, I, I think this is, I think Watson's a sneaky DFS play. Yeah. Um, but my main thing is you got Zadarius Smith, um, who's going to not allow teams to double Miles Garrett. Last night on my stream, I had this guy named Reed on. Reed played college football, very knowledgeable guy. And he, this is one of the picks he gave out. And his main thing was this is you have Jonah Williams, who has played left tackle in the NFL at Alabama. Now he's going over to the right side. And now he was Reed was and Reed played a very high level of football. He said people don't understand what a big move that is after having so many games underneath your belt. And now you're going up against either Zadarius Smith, who's an elite pass rusher, or Miles Garrett, who's probably the best defender in the game. He said, like, the timing that, that he's going to have is really going to be evident the first couple of weeks. Yeah, he is someone who is going to be put to test right away. And I just – I think the Bengals will be good and will be fine, and they'll be fine come the end of the year. But they've not had great success with the Browns. Burrow's been a little bit of a slow starter. He's been out of camp right now. Like you said, there's some mis- moving pieces on the offensive line that might take a little while to get used to. So I'm going to lean Cleveland here. Let's make that one of our plays right now. Two and a half. Uh, the Brownies at home. Let's keep rolling along, Eric. Where do we go next? We go Texans at the Ravens. This is going to be a very popular survivor play because the Ravens are a 10-point favorite in here over under in this game. Around 43 and a half. You have the Ravens who signed Lamar to the long-term deal. And now... They tried to build around him. They brought in some nice pieces, some better pieces than he's had. He doesn't necessarily have a big standout number one, but it does seem like there's a little bit more depth overall. Uh, You know, you've got Odell, Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers to add with Mark Andrews. So, I mean, if they're healthy, they're better. They they still don't have that number one type guy. Uh, And Houston's been a team that we've liked to play a lot the last couple of years. You know, I think they're going to be a lot better this year, and I, I, I have a tough time using them in, in the uh, like using Baltimore in Survivor because I'm scared of the Texans just being a little better with their new head coach, former defensive coordinator for the 49ers, a rookie pass rusher up front, um, OCs, you know, got a lot of good hype, and I'm higher on Stroud than some of the other you know, young, like young quarterbacks. What I like to Eric, they went out and invested in the offensive line. They gave both tackles extensions. They brought in a right guard, gave him an extension right away, used a second round draft pick drafting a center. Um, and then they traded for uh, Jones from the Cardinals last year, who was a top 20 tackle and who can also play guard. So they went out and did their best to try to keep their young quarterback safe. I think at this number, I'm, I'm definitely not with the, on the Ravens side. And I think once it hits double digits, I'm playing the Texans. Yeah, I bet the Texans. I look at it like this. Um, so let's just kind of look at it. Let's look at what the numbers say. Week one is basically just based on what people perceive of a team. So you can kind of get overinflated heavy line. Ten point dogs or more, week one, home or away, 
76, 70.6% ATS. When, the, when it is a road dog, it's 64% ATS. First year coaches on the road, 58% ATS. Okay. Harbaugh, you know, I mean, he's 48% ATS as a favorite this big. So, I mean, those trends kind of say to take the, um, to take the, the Texans. And I know the college game and the pro game is completely different, but we can kind of use it as a reference point sometimes because it is the game of football. A lot of hype was on Clemson this year coming into the season because they had this new offense. Offense looked a little sputter. Same thing with the Ravens. Football is all about timing. It's about repetition. Lamar did not play in the preseason, and he's implementing a new offense. You're telling me the timing is going to be there. You're telling me the timing with these receivers who they brought in. You mentioned them. They're all brand new, brand new offense, like and and probably a lot more throwing. There, you know what I mean. It's just this, and it's not like show me one beat reporter that has been. Oh, dude, this offense looks tight. Stuff looks good out of Baltimore. All you hear is J.K. Dobbins upset. You know what I mean? That's not none of this good stuff you hear. And they lost Ben Powers, who was one of their better offensive linemen. Look, I. It's a disgusting number. There's probably going to be and what they got some people in America betting in this. You and me and are going to be two of them, and yeah. yeah, they're very shaky in the secondary. Injury to Humphrey, some unproven quarters, uh, also coming off of injuries. Just feels like too much. I mean, this is a game where they could be up by 16, and you get a backdoor late garbage time score here. Um, and I, I just feel positive about a lot of the things the Texans have done in the offside. That's our second play of the week. Texans plus the 10. Let's move to Jags at the Colts. So we have Jacksonville coming off a playoff year last year where they turned everything around midway through the season, played very well, won a playoff game, and now they're the big team to beat in the division. Can they take another step forward with year two of Doug Peterson? You have the Colts here. They're going to look brand new. No Jonathan Taylor and Richardson is their quarterback. I think he's going to be a terrible quarterback for actual football, but a valuable one for fantasy possibly. And one that could score you some points in certain spots in in the right spot. Jacksonville is a five point favorite on the road in here. Calvin Ridley joins the Jags top tier talent on the defensive line. They were 25th in sacks though. They were a little disappointing. They they get to the quarterback, but they don't wrap them up. Um, I I mean, I I'm going to probably just stay away here. I really, I'm really nervous about, Richardson early on um, and the Colts is another situation where the offensive line I could see going either way. They're sort of like a wide range. They were good a couple years ago. Then some of those same players weren't very good last year. I don't really know what to expect from some of their backs. I don't really know what to expect from some of their receivers, honestly. And, but the problem is, is I'm sort of down on Jacksonville this year. I don't think they're going to be as good and as automatic as everybody else thinks. I'm probably staying away from this one though, Eric. Talk to us about Jags, Colts, Jacksonville, five-point favorite on the road here, over under 45. I hate myself. I hate myself. There's certain bets I Indy? Made. You Indy it. Uh, oh, you're not it. laying it with Jacksonville for sure. I hate it. And I'm going to be what was your What was your buy-in? Like over three and a half? Over I four? just knew it since it was a home divisional dog. Like week one, this is just the spot I take. So it's there's fives across the board. I'll wait. You know, I can maybe see if I can get a five and a half. But – you know, I'm fine. Four and a half to five. five. If I'm it playing five and five. Yeah. I look at it like this. Um, and anyone that has listened to me on your show knows my big thing is what? 
the Trenzers. Yep. The Trenzers, excuse me. Looking at this, looking at this Colts team, what's their strength? The defensive line. During our AFC South preview, excuse me, what was our area of concern with the um, Jaguars? Their offensive line. And now you don't have Cam Johnson, who's just suspended. You don't have your other tackle, who is who had his best year, who was your best offensive lineman last year. So you have two yep. backups starting against the Colts' strength. I'm not saying the Colts are going to be able to win this. Close enough to where it's a field goal game. Close. And let's let's rewind a little bit. Remember a couple of years ago when Philip Rivers were there, everyone and their aunt took the Colts on the road as their survivor pick against the Jaguars. And what happened? Jaguars straight up won. Um, you know, I mentioned the home dog thing. You have to remember that. 60%, 25, and 13. Rookie quarterbacks on the road. Rookie quarterbacks first game, 54%. Rookie coaches on the road. Rookie co- Oh, no, I was on the road. Excuse me. Peterson, 40% ATS. But at the end of the day, the big thing for me is this. Just the point of attack of Indy's defensive line against the Jaguars' offensive line, I really think that is going to be the difference in terms of the um, in terms of the fantasy aspect and thing. There is one person I started to really come around on in fantasy football this year as I started to do more drafts, and that was Calvin Ridley. You look at the running back free agent class, it is freaking loaded with people. You look at the wide receiver free agent class, it's Calvin Ridley and Mike Evans. Ridley, if he balls out, has a chance to get paid. And I really think he's going to be in line for an absolute huge season. He was one guy that I was just looking to target every single one of my um, every single one of my fantasy football drafts. And with that being said, I think he's going to be a little underpriced to start the season in DFS. Let's look at the Jags and the Colts. Let's keep rolling the 49ers and the Steelers. This was one of those games I uh, I mentioned when we had the winning ticket as a, a look-ahead play when Pittsburgh was plus three because I thought as the season got closer, this might have been like a sharp play for people because the, the 49ers have legitimate quarterback concerns. We did hear that Bosa signed a deal, but very similar to what you were saying earlier about some of these other holdouts. He's not going to be in shape to be a normal Bosa. He hasn't been doing anything football, uh, really football-related um recently and i'm i'm very very high on the steelers this year my one of my big concerns for them is the offensive line i think they've looked fine um so far in the preseason they looked really good in the preseason i'm not going to try to judge everything off of that but i'd rather have them looking good than looking bad uh pickett led all quarterbacks with a, a 94 overall offensive grade by pro football focus. And uh, he was second in overall grade last year from weeks 12 to 18, only behind Joe Burrow. The last two years in week one, they've had upsets. Uh, they upset the bills a couple years ago, and then they upset the Bengals last year in week one. And this is just a total Mike Tomlin spot, Eric, right? You've got week one, you're a small home dog. I think, you know, this is a, a pretty good group overall. They have one or two spots where I think they'll struggle, but I like their wide receiver group. I expect Deontay Johnson to get a couple touchdowns this year um, with pickings. Fryermuth is a top 10 tight end. I like them there on the defensive front. They're going to be healthy now. So the 49ers, their weak spot is their offensive line. 
because they're going to be looking a lot different on the offensive line right now. And so they will have a very tough Pittsburgh defensive front to deal with. Um, San Francisco also has a new defensive coordinator. So while they're very good on the defensive side, it's going to be a new guy back there calling the plays. Things will be a little bit different for this team. And Purdy was was great last year. He overachieved. I, I'm not sure he's just going to automatically come back in and be that guy we saw last year. And and he was hurt. He's coming off of surgery right now. You're just going to punch him right back in. I think it's a great spot for Pittsburgh to open up the year. I think it's a tough spot for San Francisco with some of their, some of their concerns. If you have to play in a tough place with a young quarterback, that's not had a lot of experience recently and an um, offensive line with questions, you're in a bad, a bad spot here against Pittsburgh. Talk to us about this one, Eric. I gave this one out last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, Tuesday night on my show. The one big thing that stood out to me is when I was just looking back since 2001, West Coast teams that travel across the East Coast that are favorites are only 45% ATS. So, um, you know, again, that's a big travel. People need to realize changing time zones, early start, 1 p.m. Tomlin home dog 65%. Sorry, Tomlin as a dog 65%. Tomlin as a home dog is a whopping 79%. Look, could San Francisco come out of the NFC? Yeah, they, they easily could. But when you look at the San Francisco team right now, Bosa resigned, which is great for them. Long term, that's great. Is he going to play? If he does play the realistically what? He's going to be on a count. He's going to be on a snap count. He can't play the full game just because he hasn't been practicing. No he's way he's in shape. Game, game shape. I, myself, I'm not a pretty guy. I watched a lot of Iowa State football. I am not a Zach, sorry, a Brock Purdy guy. Number two, number whatever I'm on. I'm sorry. I think the offensive line could be good, but they're breaking in four new players. Yep. Four players. They have one absolute stud. Yep. And then four brand new unproven. They bring back Trent Williams, and then they're losing their starting right tackle. They're going to have competition at center. There's just a lot of concerns there. Pieces moving around. So I don't think that's going to be as much of a strength for them. For as much crap as Jimmy G got, he was consistent. He knew everything. He knew the system really well. Um, he maybe couldn't take you to win the Super Bowl, but he can get you damn pretty damn close to it. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just not high on the San Francisco team as much as everyone else is, and I think it's a great spot for Pittsburgh to start the year. I think it's a phenomenal spot. Um, and also another thing, Shanahan only forty six percent ATS. I'm a little worried about the back four of the 49ers' ability to cover. Deontay Johnson and Pickens. Obviously, I think they're going to look to get Pickens at Tutty because he set a record last year not having oh, De- Deontay. Deontay, yep. So, um, you know, I'd look to play that too. And I really liked how the Steelers treated the preseason as an actual preseason. I locked this in at two and a half just because I don't think it's going to move at all. Eric, let's get to the Bucks and the Vikings. Minnesota's a six-point favorite in this game over Tampa. Tampa's projected to be one of the worst teams in the league. Probably still a good defense. And Minnesota, we talked all about in our preview, as a team that won 11 one-score games last year. They crazy overachieved on Pythagorean wins. And I I don't think they're going to be as good this year. I'm, I'm staying away from this game purely because I don't really know what to expect at all from the Tampa Bay offense. They couldn't run the ball at all. 
I'm curious how well Baker can do back there with a bad offensive line. Haven't heard positive things already coming out of the receiver room. Just not good energy from Tampa as some of the other long shots that we're playing, right? I like what I'm hearing and reading about the Texans. So I'm fine playing them at a bigger number. I like some of the other things we're hearing about uh, some of these other teams. But for me, I'm just staying away from this one. This number has been dropping. You know, and offshore, it's moved on to five and a half. There's sharp money coming on the Bucks, And I really think the reason why is the issue that the Vikings have in their back four. And if there's one thing that Baker's showing, Baker gives two shits. He's going to throw the well, ball. Well, that's he's a great point. On the field. And, and he, you know what? And that's where he's actually been very successful for as much crap as he's been and given, which is rightly so in a lot of spots. He's actually been really good down the field. He has a 42% completion percentage on throws 20 plus yards down the field doesn't sound great, but 42% on those deep throws. He's ninth out of 33 quarterbacks that are ranked there. Everything else short throws less than 20 yards down the field. He's 39th out of 42. Yeah. So take some big shots down the field. Baker. I, I did, think you play this? did you play this or like, is there a number where you would buy? Um, where you, like, if this got up to seven, I'd probably yeah, play it. Me too. But I'm, you know, I, I think I think the value DFS play, though, is you either stack Gibbon, sorry, Jesus, Justin uh, Jefferson and Baker or Absolutely. Evans and Cousins. I think That's Minnesota is going to be one of those teams we attack because of their defense this year. So look to the receivers in this game. And maybe, and to be honest, like what you said, I'm going to, because you said it and because he's my guy, I'm going to have one lineup with Baker because Baker is the type of quarterback that wins you the Millie. Yeah. Like no, like not a lot of people are going to be investing in Baker. He's going to be a really cheap option. And if you can just say, well, maybe he gets a couple, you know, he, he connects with the good receivers there and they help him do a lot of the work. You don't need a whole lot from Baker in order for him to be one of those guys to get you good production. So uh, we'll take one swing on him, but yeah, for me at the number, I'm kind of clear at the moment. Let's keep rolling along, Eric. Where do we head next? Tennessee at New Orleans. This one is uh, the Saints minus three and a half. I locked this game in. I sent you a, a link to an article on the ringer that was really good about uh, Mike Vrabel. I sent it to my dad too. My dad was a coach, he coached a lot. He coached high school wrestling and he coached like a lot of my stuff growing up. Love coaching. And so I sent it to him. It was just a cool article about how Vrabel's a good coach because he doesn't BS you, but and he just makes you work hard and he doesn't lie to you but he'll get down and dirty himself. Like he gets in three point stance. He tells people what they need to hear. Um, and everybody respects him. And this is the type of spot where I love Vrabel. As soon as this thing was a three and a half, I was going to dive in right away because I, I think these two teams are probably not far separated as far as where they may land this year. Tennessee's in a tougher AFC, but they're in, they're both in pretty weak divisions overall. I think Tennessee is going to be fine this year. People are acting like they're going to be completely done. And last year, they were really bad down the stretch. Remember, that was without Tannehill. They were 0-7 straight up. Um, and I think 1-5-1 and against the spread. He missed the... Uh, and He was out. They missed the playoffs. That was only the second time in seven years under Vrabel that they've missed the playoffs. Um, now they have Tannehill. Uh, they brought in Hopkins, which gives them a nice piece. 
to go along with Henry. Hopkins is getting older, sure, but with Henry and stacking the boxes there, he'll get a lot of one-on-ones, and he won't be, I don't think, necessarily double team there. They were very good at stopping the run last year, which I think is one thing that you feel like New Orleans will want to do, even without Kamara in, in week one, who's out for the first three games. I don't really love their head coach, Allen, in tight games like this. If it's close, but more than a field goal, He's not great at decision-making, when to kick, when to go for it, those types of things. I, I like Tennessee in this spot here. I think this is just a close game, and if you're giving me the hook, um, I'm going to take the Titans here. Eric, talk to us about this one. Vrabel is a dog, 60% ATS. Vrabel is a road dog, a 59% ATS. You're going to hear me talk about a lot when we're doing these shows, offensive versus defensive line. And I really think the main thing we need to remember is there's no Davenport. Davenport's not there. And I really don't feel that the guys that they have, Reese and Sanders, I really don't think those guys are going to be able to create as much havoc as Davenport did in the back. Lattimore is hurt. I don't know. Is he going to play? Trending like he's going to play. But we've seen how much the Saints defense struggles when there's no Lattimore. Also, Tim White is the offensive coordinator. His offense back in those days with the Texans, was explosive. And I really think it's going to bring a whole new wrinkle to this Tennessee offense. And they got our boy, excuse me, Spears from Tulane, who's going to be able to spell Henry now. Now they have a legit playmaker running back that can come in and spill Henry, something they haven't had in the back before. I think this offense is going to be able to move the ball for the Titans. Saints had offensive line issues last year. When you sit back and look at their roster, do you really feel like they did anything to address that? I don't. And you have Simmons for the Titans over there. I think he's going to be able to create some havoc. They have that good young pass rusher for the Titans. I'm spacing on his name. I just kind of feel like, look, this is just a good matchup. Rabel is a home dog. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the points here. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you said Tim White, who was the WWE referee. I think his name is Tim Kelly, right? Is, is the, maybe, is that, maybe. And, and that's it's funny that shout out to Tim Kelly. That's my buddy also who does the this uh Star Wars and the Marvel recordings with me. His name is also his name is Tim Kelly. But I was like, Tim White, that's the WWE referee that I was uh uh remember who used to be on there and was good with buddies with Andre the uh Andre the Giant. No, so we're 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 both Tim on the right. I knew I knew when we I knew looking at this one right away where uh we would definitely be on the same side here with the uh, with the Titans getting the three and a half. Okay, let's move along to the next one, Eric. Where do we go next? We go to the Packers at the Bears divisional game. Young quarterbacks here on the Packers side. New quarterback, two wide receivers that are in their second year, a rookie wide receiver, a rookie tight end, eight first-round draft picks on the defensive side all over the place. So much young talent, but they're very unproven. They probably have the better coach, though, and in this spot, it's basically a pick them. They're going to be on the road. Like, this is going to be a game that the Bears are got to be up for. Their fans have to be excited to be playing a game here with uh, against the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. I like the Bears overall as a team. I'm, I want to wait this year. Like, I think they'll be improved. I don't know how much I like them. I know you got a couple of the Bears stuff early on this year. Is this a spot where you're playing them? It's down to one here now. So let's just go down a rabbit hole, if you will. Okay. You, you lose to the you lose to the Packers, okay? 0-1-1. You go down, you play at Tampa. Hot, 
I really have questions about the Bears defense. The more I've dove into the Bears, the more I'm a little leery about them. You're 0-2. You now go play the Chiefs, 0-3. Play the Broncos, 0-4. Commanders on a short week. I really feel like, as crazy as it sounds, this game is so pivotal to the season for the Bears. And it's got to get off to a good start right away. If they get off to this bad start, I don't know what's going to happen with them. I, I'm a little... I'm a little worried about about the Bears here because I their cause offensive I line's been yeah been go off and then on top of that if they have because it they're gonna have the um, the Panthers pick you and I are both low on them if they win four or five games you're gonna probably have another top ten pick draft class for quarterback looks pretty loaded Fields is coming up for that extension. Are the Bears good if they if another brutal year? Do you let go of Eberfuse and do another hard reset? I mean, I really think this Bears season. It's so funny because really people are so is. high coming on to the season because of Fields and how good and dynamic. He oh, I like Fields. Me I too. Fields is an absolute goldmine. I think, but the offensive line is bad, and they the de- like you said, their defense is really, really bad in some spots. Like they should be a little better in some spots, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like. They signed Walker and Billings in free agency, drafted and multiple I, defensive I, I linemen up front. They're, they're, they're linebackers. I don't think they're that good. People are making this big thing about the linebackers they're bringing in. I don't think that they had one good season. I don't think they're that good. I'm worried about the offensive line. Do you think this uh, line is accurate? I don't want anything to do with it. Me neither. I, I, I want to watch these two teams. I just have no idea. This, I think because, A, you got to look at it like this. Can the Bears stop? Jones and Dylan what and then if they start running that's going to open stuff for Jordan Love but if the Bears stop that run game that's going to be really hard for Love to do anything flip side when was the Bears defense is just garbage when was the Bears defensive offensive line can't block there's this game can play out 15 different ways yeah I just want nothing to do with this one I'm not touching it with the 10 foot pole this next game I will be staying away from also because the health of Cooper cup is now out. And I'm really concerned about the Rams being able to move the ball here uh, against Seattle. I, I don't think Seattle should be laying just like a massive number early on in the year, but I, I kind of like Seattle overall this year. I think they're improved. I like their roster. I'm just, I'm not touching this one. Cause I, I think the Rams could really, really struggle to move the ball without cup. And i I'm sticking. I'm sticking away from this one for with my poor Rammies, Eric. What about you? I was looking at the Rams. I really wanted to talk myself being in to take the Rams just because McVeigh has shown he does cover against Carroll. I yeah, I think what five out of the last six. Yep, you can. Last year, they, the Seattle ball. won both, but the Rams covered both. Yep. You can run the ball on the Seattle defense. Seattle's really good at creating pressure. You can run on them though with the McVeigh running zone running system. I think they'll be able to move the ball. I think the Rams' defense is going to be better than people realize. I think it was addition by subtraction, losing Jalen Ramsey. And the other thing is the interior of the Seahawks' offensive line is really weak. Those two bookend tackles were great last year. I think they're going to take another step in their development. Center, right and left guard, really weak. Line Donald up from one of theirs. He could get in, create a little havoc. But – Cup is just, you look, Kelsey's third down efficiency numbers 
are phenomenal. And cups blow his out of the water. Yeah. So I just don't know. Because Staff- the one thing about Stafford, and I, I'm, I'm a huge Stafford guy for obviously him playing in Detroit. He has such a history of just locking into his one and just getting the one the ball. Now, with Cup not there, who's he going to look to? You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> I just, I don't know. You have five. And the flip side, do you trust another one of the terms I use is margin? Do you trust Gino to win with margin? I mean, I trust Gino's, but not with margin. You know, not, no, you, not, right. no, no. He's, again, it's, it feels like at over three and a half, you're starting to get in that weird. It's just, I, I need to see more from the Rams. Like, I, I would not be laying the number with Seattle. It's just, what what number would it be playable for me with the Rams without Cup? Probably seven. And I mean, I think if you're going to play this in the game, I think I think the play is the under. Absolutely. I think the play in this game, if you're going to have to play a game, is the under. Seattle so. just gets up, tries to run the ball. Rams are trying to run the ball anyways because they don't have a lot of options out there. They want to try to steal a game or two, and then maybe Cup can come back, and then all of a sudden you're – healthier team in the bad NFC and you feel like you can stay close to 500 for a while, but I can't do it quite yet with the Rammies in week one. We get to the Raiders and the Broncos, another divisional game here. This one's flipped up to four as the Broncos bring in head coach, Sean Payton, the Raiders bring in quarterback, Jimmy G and maybe head coach Josh McDaniels up on the hot seat. Broncos as a four point favorite in here. You're kind of high on the Broncos, I'm high on the Broncos. Throughout the year, right? I'm going to be honest. This is a game I want absolutely nothing to do with. Nothing at this line. To me, I don't know what to expect from Jimmy G here with the Raiders. Um, Jacobs is back, but he is held out for a while. What kind of shape is he going to be in? Keep in mind, he's coming off a year where they... He had 1,650 rushing yards and over 2,000 from scrimmage. He could be worn down this year. And then the Broncos... You're two of Wilson. What's it going to be like? Does Peyton even want him around or is he trying to get rid of him so he can like find his own guy? Um, His teams were always good offensively. So you feel like at least they should be better offensively. The problem with Denver is they have some really good top tier talent. If everybody was healthy on Denver, I think they would have one of like the probably the better starting rosters from top to bottom. But as soon as they get a little bit of, of injury, or bad luck, they're in trouble. Like they, because they traded so many picks for Russ. They've traded six picks over the last two years for a quarterback and a head coach. Yeah. And the quarterback has been bad. Then the quarterback was bad last year. So think about that six picks for a guy that doesn't even play on the field for you and another one who's only been a major negative for you. Um, it's mind blowing. But, but, but all that being said, Peyton should improve this team so much just based on what they were dealing with. Like this yeah, could be healthy, an urban Meyer like upgrade that yeah, we saw yeah. with the Jags. You have a healthy Javante Williams. You bring in P Ryan. who's a very capable back backup. So you have a good two headed running monster there. You have Marvin Mims, who is electric at Oklahoma, put him with Judy, even though Judy's a little banged up and Cortland Sutton, a dynamic, just an absolute dynamic receiving core you got frank clark coming over which which is great but on the flip side with the raiders you know the one thing that's just valuable in this league is just pass rushing and you look at what the raiders have what do they have they have crosby they drafted the kid wilson 
They have Chandler Jones, even though he sent out some weird tweet or something. So you have three good pass rushers that could get to the quarterback. Maybe Wilson struggles a little bit in his first game in the NFL. That'd be my only hiccup why the Raiders could cover. But I don't know. You got Jimmy Garoppolo, who doesn't throw the ball deep. That's going to miss up Devontae Adams' dot. I don't know. I just – the Raiders could just boom. But you got Josh Jacob, who's going to be playing for a contract. I don't know. I, I got to see what the Raiders are. I got to get a read on both of these teams, I feel like, this year as uh, we get to another game that I think will be a good game. I'm probably going to be staying away from this one, too, just from uh, playing a side of this game. Um, might be a game where you can throw some DFS players in the mix, though. Dolphins Chargers over under in this game is 50 and a half. Dolphins were tied for the most completions of 50 yards or more last year in the NFL. So your guy, Tua, he's been practicing some jujitsu during the offseason. He's been learning how to fall so he doesn't get concussions. So he's learning. I, I thought that was funny in reading that and hearing that. So he learned how to fall. Like uh, now he can be a wrestler, I guess, right? He could take bumps in there, Tua. Shut up. Like, I, I hate it. You and I are in that fantasy. I know. <laughs> But, I mean, it's just math. I mean, if Waddle and Tyreek are both top 20 fantasy football players, math-wise, Tua has to have a good season if he stays. Defense should be much um, better with one of the better defensive coordinators, right, with Fangio coming in. Yeah, Ramsey's yeah. out for a while, but but Fangio should help them. They, they, they won't be as bad defensively. So, I mentioned my boy Reed was on my, my stream last night. Played at a high level in college. His thing was this that he feels that the coaching upgrade that no one is talking about is more is going from Lombardi to more that you have Justin Herbert yeah. who is an absolute freak of nature with his arm strength and you had this OC he was that was insisting Duncan yeah now you have stuff. more who's going to just say dude go at it kid throw the ball and i he thinks you're going to be seeing this whole thing where you just are going to be blown away. And the DB is he, his thing is the Vangio system. Needs it's going to overwhelm them. Corners. But he, he doesn't think when you look at the quarters, now this is what he said last night. He doesn't think the DBs are fast enough and athletic enough to keep up with Mike Williams and Quentin Johnson on the outside. Um, and then he said the defense, the main thing has been stopping the run that the Chargers struggle with. Dolphins really don't run the ball that much. Yeah, Dolphins are going to be looking to pass the ball, and that's one thing that the Chargers are pretty good at defending. He made a pretty good case, and it goes so back. So do you like them? Would you play them at this number here, three? No. I have so many bets. I didn't. So they would. If I I were to bet, I'd bet the Chargers minus the three. Yeah, I'm. I'm in. I'm in a um, a competition where you have to pick every game each week on the spread. It's like a Yahoo Sports one. Um, and and so like if if you're doing that, I I would lean Chargers as well at the three. Um, because I I still think they're the better team there, and I I worry a little bit in this spot because the Chargers are healthy now. The beginning of the year, new scheme. Could they, like you said, could they have some hidden upside that we don't even realize on the offensive side? I'd lean Chargers, but both of us staying away from this one. Three games to discuss, Eric. We've got Sunday Eagles at the Pats, and we've got Tom Brady Appreciation Day. 
on Sunday. Pats are up to plus four here on DRF Sportsbook. And they bring in a new offensive coordinator. Your boy, Matt Patricia, was the offensive coordinator last year, and he was so, so bad. They should be better just because of the subtraction of him. And uh, Mac Jones worked with Bill O'Brien previously. And so that's why they kind of went out and hired O'Brien and said, hey, look, Mac, this is your guy. Like, no excuses for you right now. I don't know if they win the game. I'm absolutely playing the Patriots in here as a home dog at anything over three. I don't anything over plus three. Plus four here is a great number for me. The Eagles are good. Going to be very good. Uh, Patriots have struggled with running quarterbacks, but they've had the whole offseason to prepare for this opponent. And they actually drafted a kid now that plays some quarterback for them that actually plays some wide receiver. And he can even be someone you put on the scout team and you can kind of mimic a little bit what you get from the running quarterbacks. I just think they'll keep it close and close enough to where it could be within the field goal. So while I don't love the Patriots overall as necessarily a team, one of the weaknesses that Philly had last year was stopping the run. That's what new England's going to try to do run, 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 less possessions, keep this game close for as long as possible. And uh, I'm going to lean New England here at home. Eric, what about you? Eagles, yeah, Patriots. I'm going to wait. Um, I really feel that the tackle, you mentioned offensive line injuries at the beginning of our show. They for the Patriots, tackle, right? Yeah, t- Patriots a- Anderson. Really, yeah. Um, this has been dipping down. It dipped down to three and a half with the news of him four. Um, I'm going to wait. You know, I'm definitely going to bet it. I, I think we can get a four and a half. Don't get a four and a half. I'm more than happy taking the four. And keep in uh, mind when Eric will say when Eric's talking about, you know, we'll wait. We'll let you know again on Sunday morning what lines are. So you can join us again. Make sure to set your alarm Sunday morning, eleven o'clock AM Eastern time. You can uh, it'll be right on Eric's social media. It'll be on my social media, Twitter, Facebook. We'll stream it on YouTube also. And that way if things have changed a little between now and then, if we know for sure guys that are playing, we'll be able to give you all that information then. Yeah, and I think that um I think we're going to get be able to just wait it out, get a better number. Uh, and you, you hit the nail on the head. They're going to run the ball. Um, I mentioned the stat before about quarterbacks and then playing the preseason. Hurts and then playing the preseason. Uh, Eagles don't really have the depth in the offensive line. I'm a little worried about that. I'm a little worried about the new pieces on the defense. I think that uh, Belichick is going to have his guys ready. I think the Patriots defense is elite. I think it's a yep. top five defense. I think they're going to be able to disrupt hurts make him uncomfortable i think they have the secondary that's going to be able to contain aj brown and Devontae smith i think the bet here is the patriots i think you just have to just have to wait um i just you know i because the first two weeks of the nfl are always like you don't have the analytical stuff no yeah you know, it's, like it's tougher. Weeks, we're going to be talking about ada and dvoa all that stuff Yep, and so right grading and going on more perceived what we perceive mm-hmm. is going to happen. The next and few weeks, two, yeah, we buy the dip of the other teams that underperform this week. Yep. So it's just it's just one of those one of those things. But I think the uh, I think the Patriots are going to be able to move the ball on the ground. I'll, I'll take the Patriots plus yep. the four. So that as of right now, we'll say that would be our fifth play, Patriots. Okay. Plus the four. We'll see if we like any of the other last two games any better than that. We'll talk Sunday night football, Monday night football. First up, Sunday night, Cowboys at the Giants, two teams that were in the playoffs last year. 
Um, the Cowboys finished third in sacks. They also led the league in takeaways last year. They're trying to become the first team since 1974 to lead the league in takeaways for three straight years. Question marks on the offensive line. Smith has only played 17 of the last 50 regular season games. Steele's coming off a knee injury. But as far as starting the year, they're ready to rock. Um, McCarthy calling plays. Can Dak limit the turnovers? Moore is gone now as the offensive coordinator. The Giants, they put pressure on the quarterback on 30% of dropbacks last year, which was eighth in the league. They have some concerns on the offensive line themselves. Neal is not very good. He's going to need to show some improvement. I love the addition of Waller. Waller's played in only 20 games the last two years. But prior to that, 2019 and 2020, he played in every game. And he had over 2,300 yards and 12 touchdowns. Can he help them give them just a much better pass catcher than they had last year if he can stay healthy? DJ, Daniel Jones got paid because he didn't turn the ball over last year. He's only been 1-5 against Dallas straight up, but 3-3 three and three against the spread. So the Cowboys on the road, three-point favorite here. You going with the home three-point dog? I got him at three and a half. Um, my yeah. thought process is this. Is, was that your buy-in point? Like, what about this number yeah, anything, right here? Anything over three. Yeah, at, I agree. Um, at three, I'd wait. How the number is with the minus 117, it kind of suggests we're going to see a little bit of a movement going in the Giants' favor. Um, I mentioned the divisional the divisional dog angle. Something else we need to remember. We are, we both agreed DeBull is a great coach. He was an insane 10-2 and two last year as a dog. Danny Dimes is 63% ATS. You mentioned McCarthy calling the plays. The one thing that I've been adamant about is when you step away from football, the game changes so much. You just aren't able to keep up with it. Even if you're like a color commentator, like Bill Collar, I think the game passes you by. And I really think the game has passed McCarthy by with his ability to call plays. I think it's going to be a very, I don't want to use the term stagnant, like play calling. I think we're going to not see much variety. I think it's going to be a lot of fly stuff. We're not going to see much, much um, um, running the ball. Yeah. And the offensive line coach, they brought in a new offensive line coach. And Dak really struggled with pressure in his face. And I think we're going to see the same because you look at this offensive line coach, historically speaking, his lines have struggled to blocking pass blocking. So if the giants are able to get in and make him uncomfortable, I think, look, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a bad game for Dak. I think he's going to throw to some turnovers and then you have Trey Lance there. He could press just because they made that move for Lance. So mentally-wise, I don't know the state of Trey Lance. I think you have the better coach in the ball. I think you're going to see Daniel Dimes, who's a mobile quarterback, who's going to be able to negate the pass rush of the the Cowboys, and you gave Jones weapons. I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I love him here at three. The Giants would be my lean uh, here also. I definitely wouldn't want to lay the number with Dallas on the road. Let's finish up with Monday Night Football. The Bills are – two-and-a-half-point favorite now on the road, taking on Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. One thing we pointed out last year talking about the Bills, they were dealing with that crazy situation where DeMar Hamlin is pronounced dead on the field. You think you lo- you're you not sure what is going on with his health. And then 
all of a sudden there's this whirlwind where he's okay. He's back at the stadium for your playoff game. It's just emotional wave for them. I don't know how to gauge that. And that was a great point you made because we don't have a whole lot of precedent for something like that. And everybody takes emotion differently. Like everybody takes major life offense differently. Some people, they lose a family member and they're out there and you wouldn't really know it. Other people's it, other people, it will really impact them. So I think it was tough to get a gauge for them at the end of last year um, at, because this is a team that since 2019, they have the best points margin per game, which is plus 8.4, which means they win by a lot. And when they lose, it's generally very close. It was weird to see them get blown out like that in the playoffs. Offensive line could struggle with some depth. We've said that about so many teams this year. Um, last year, or, you know, Allen, again, turnovers. That was the same problem with Dak, who we were just talking about previously. Then on the flip side, the Jets have a fantastic defense. They should be really strong there on the front side, and the, the secondary should be fantastic. But then on the offensive line, their left tackle, Brown, had no training camp after recovering from rotator cup surgery. He's 38 now. The right tackle is playing on a twice-repaired knee, hasn't played a full game since 2020. He And it, Rodgers needs some time to throw. When the defense doesn't get a pass rush, he has the second-highest total QBR. He's one of the all-time best with time back there. Just He'll just pick you apart. With one pass rush win last year, just one pass rush win, he's 28th in QBR. So as he's gotten older, he's not been fantastic at dealing with the pressure. I don't really know what to do in this game specifically, Eric. I don't know if I have a strong play one way or the other. I'm probably going to kick back and watch. Because um, I'm not quite as high on either of these teams this year as everybody else is. I think the Bills will probably still win the division. I don't know if they'll be that top-tier Super Bowl contender Again, I, I have some worries about the O-line. I have some worries about their defense in some spots, too. Uh, talk to us about Monday Night Football. Uh, first half under, if you're going to bet it, I think that's the, that, that's the bet right there. I didn't bet it, but if you're looking for a bet, that's what you do. I think both these defenses are going to be elite. But my worry point for the Bills is it does no Von Miller. If Von Miller is not there, we saw how much the Bills' defense struggled last year. But they did bring in a new defensive coordinator who's going to look to blitz more, look to create more pressure, and they did add more pass rushers. That's a little bit of a worry point. I'm a little worried about the Jets and being able to stop the run. I, that was a weak point. They really didn't do anything to address that. They brought in Aaron Rodgers. Everyone's like, oh, my God, they have Aaron Rodgers. They brought in Delvin Cook. I, The people I talk about football, no one told me Delvin Cook was the missing piece. I think this Jets team is, has a little holes. I think they're a little bit overhyped. Um, you know, I'm going to pull it up right now. Rogers, historically speaking, the last couple years in week one really has not been that solid. They lost, they lost last year. I remember that I'm pulling it up right now. Well, no, was it um, two years ago when they were huge favorites and lost? Yep. So I'm looking at it right now. Oh, so in game one, it says he's nine and six. ATS. Let me look at the seasons. Um, 2023 loss, 2021 loss, 1819 loss, 1415 loss. Yeah. So he hasn't been that good. The last recently, he hasn't been that good. Last year, lose at Minnesota to start in week one, 23 to seven. It was a couple years ago when they were 
Oh, they got crushed by the Saints in week one, 38 to three. And that was when everybody freaked out. And then they came back and they, they were really, really good uh, throughout a lot of the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I'm, this is another one of those watch games for me. I could see this game in so many different ways. And if the Jets win, everyone's going to say they're the team to beat in the Super Bowl. And uh, well, I'm, if, if either one of these teams look really impressive, I'm going to fade them in week two for sure. For sure. Oh, 100%. We'll uh, have a lot more to talk with you about on Friday on the winning ticket, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And on Sunday, where Eric and I will go over all of the games on Sunday and on Monday. And we'll be doing that at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. We'll go for about 45 minutes to an hour. We'll give you everything that we're playing. We'll talk some DFS. And then you'll have an hour after we're done to get yourself all ready. Lock in any last-minute bets. Finish up any uh, fantasy lineups that you have. Eric, anything else you want to mention before we finish up? Nope. Looking forward to another good season with you, my friend. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, We'll be back here every week on Wednesday nights when we record, then on Fridays for the winning ticket, Sunday mornings for all the last-minute up-to-date info in the NFL. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. Good luck in Week 1. NFL Week 1, good luck to everyone out there playing football games this week. We'll be here with you for every game of the NFL season. Let's dive on into the horse racing portion of this episode. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And Any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Time to talk about Woodbine for. September the 8th, we're going to talk about Friday and that early pick five sequence. Remember the Friday card at Woodbine kicks off at 1.05 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to dive into the daily racing form past performances. I like to look at the formulator past performances. You can actually get these for free when you sign up for DRF bets and you wager through DRF bets. First of all, you'll get 10 of them free right, right away if you sign up. Use the promo code winning and then Deposit 250 bucks because they'll give you 250 right back. All of a sudden, boom, your 250 becomes 510 because they give you a $10 free bet just for registering. And they give you 10 of these cards that we're going to look at. A card is one track for that day, formulator past performances. Then every time you bet 50 bucks after that, you get another free past performance. So if you're betting through DRF bets, you won't have to pay for past performances anymore. Early pick five on Friday that starts in race number two, $50,000 guarantee in this one. Friday has a $50,000 guarantee, and then on Saturday and Sunday, they bump it up to a $100,000 guarantee. Early pick five always starts in race number two. So this opener, six and a half on the synthetic. I'm going to look to the seven in here, Samurai Challenge. Source moved in in between horses the two path was a solid fourth in a race where there wasn't that much passing got some action that day and should show you that logical second out improvement i think he's a major player in here the six horse sparklet is a first time starter and this born has had some pretty good success recently with first time starters you can take a look at the database here when you have these drf formulator pass performances that's one of the really cool features so you can just go to first time starters See how the barn has done recently. Now they've won with seven of their last 44, and this is over a five-year period. You want to make it a smaller sample size, you can do that, or you can just look because you'll see the the races that are listed by order of date from 2018 all the way up to 2023 right here. So you'll notice they've actually had some pretty good recent success over the last year and couple months. Since last July, they've won with three of eight first time starters and you'll notice they're usually at pretty big prices one of them was at seven to two 
And the other two were huge prices, 18 to one and 20 to one. So a barn that has shown they're very capable of firing first time out. This horse seems to have shown some ability in the morning. Hernandez jumps, uh, jumps aboard. There's no monsters in this field. Nobody scares the heck out of you at all. It's ripe for a first time starter. It's just sort of a tricky distance in which to debut six and a half. Not easy. You got to be fit. Computer hackers, probably the horse to beat in here. Tried the turf last time out. It wasn't a bad effort. And the August 13th race was good. This horse is going to wheel back really quickly though in just six days. If he if he repeats the August 13th race, which is sort of what he ran last time out on the turf, that was against better. He's the measuring stick. He makes somebody have to jump up and beat him. I went 764. The one horse will try to flash some speed from the inside. At a race like this, dropping in class, speed can just go a long way here. So if he were to get out front, he could get very brave in here. Those are the four horses and combos that I'd be using. Uh seven, six is how I stacked them. Seven, six. Four one, race number three, second leg of the pick five mile and a sixteenth on the synthetic. You have seventy five hundred dollar claimers in here. The two silent lucidity. Now some of these races on Friday are races that were recarded from the canceled day on Monday when it was very hot. So silent lucidity is it was in one of these races. The two, and in his last start, he was fourth in the race that Mambo in the Forest won. He got pushed out into the five path in the first turn and he settled fifth. He made a big four wide move up into contention and then flattened out a little bit. Just don't think he'll have to be as wide in here with this post. He should be able to save a lot more ground and get a totally different trip. I'm going to make Mambo in the forest prove it to me in this one. He's just four for 45 overall. He was 13 to one when he swooped up in one last time out. So I'm going to make him show that he can do that again. The two's the price play in here for me. The four finalist looks like the horse to catch. The five solar should sit a perfect trip in here. Gets back to the synthetic where we've seen him have, you know, really good effort Two starts back. That race last time out, it wasn't the smoothest trip for him. He got kind of, he was down inside and he just kind of got pushed. He was in between. He wasn't beaten a whole heck of a lot. I think it was, Maybe a tad better than it would just suggest on paper or the speed figure might suggest. You got the six on the big drop in class full extreme. I'm okay trying to beat him here. He doesn't have a whole lot of speed. And I'm not exactly sure how fast they're going to to go in here. You can look to the outside. I'm not sure if either one of these horses really wants to push it. Maybe a little bit from the the seven. Mambo in the forest has has not been fast recently. He's just has a couple races where he's kind of ended up on the lead. The eight is not quick. And then down towards the inside. That's why the four could be really tough. He could sneak away in here. The five solar has an opportunity to put himself in that really nice striking spot. And and same with lucidity who hopefully just won't have to go as wide. That's why I'm looking towards those horses in here. I think they'll be more forwardly placed, be able to sit a trip two, four and five for me. Let's take a shot against the six horse, hoping he's just a little too far out of it early on. Moving to race number four mile and a 16th on the synthetic here. These are $7,500 non-winners of two. Like the one Rockland Express had a slow first couple steps in that last start and then rushed up from the outside to take the lead. Three others wanted it so he couldn't clear off. It Just a tough trip. Now he's on the inside. He can save ground here. Kimura jumps aboard and has been aboard him before. 
has some upside in a race like this too. One, three, CR hotshot feels like the horse to beat. Just trying to figure out where he fits. Broke his maiden for uh, at the fourteen, fifteen thousand dollar claiming level. Stepped up to the fourteen, fifteen non winners of two. Now in for seventy five non two. Just kind of figuring out where he belongs. He faced Bongino last time out, who came back and was a good second. And early on in his career, he ran into some nice ones like Philip My Dear and Cal Kokapoo. The seven horses, the other one for me is a little bit of a wild card, Coach Abernathy. So the last two races on the turf, can we just eliminate them with some trouble in tougher spots? Got action in those races too. But let's put a line right through them. Let's look at the the race back in May, the 15 non-two on the synthetic. That race would be really competitive in here. And this is at a softer spot. I think he's worth a flyer in your pick fives. I'll use one, three, and seven. Then then there's two speed horses. I think the eight and nine will both end up pushing each other a little bit. Uh, Giant one with the blinkers on from the outside. He's going to be forwardly placed in here. I don't know how much he wants to really sit off the pace. And then you have hip to your tricks. Who's going to be stretching out going farther for the first time than he's ever been. And he's shown some speed before at shorter distances. I think he'll end up right on the lead. So I have them in the next tier below because I think they may impact each other's chances in here. If one or two of them were to sneak away, one or two of them were to scratch, you'd upgrade the other. One, three, seven, and then I have nine and eight below them. That's race four on Friday over at Woodbine. Let's move to race five. Another race that was carded for Monday that's returned here for Friday. This one's a six furlong turf race for Maidens. The one hungry wolf. Showed that he can come from out of it at six furlongs. That's what I like because I don't think he's fast enough to necessarily get the lead in here. And maybe and maybe he is with the inside draw. Normally, you'd feel like a horse like him that's shown the speed going longer and hasn't necessarily been as quick in the sprint races that it might be tough for him here. But he he may just be faster than anyone in this field. But what I like about his last race is that it shows some versatility for him. He has some options. He's not a horse who just is one-dimensional and needs the lead. If he's off the pace, he can come and he can close. He was 10th. He was just about four lengths off. He tried to move in a wall of traffic. He kept getting stuck behind horses and in a bad spot. It was a really good effort. And they'll probably try to get more aggressive with him today because they won't want to have to come from 10th again. The one hungry wolf using all over. The four one true gentleman's the horse to beat. He's going to try the turf for the first time. You can see he's bred beautifully for it. His dam won three times on the turf and won in her first turf start, which I like. Tried the synthetic in the debut, then in career start number two, tries the turf and wins. Just shows you that improvement when you get right on the grass and really a horse that takes to it. Said a couple other sibs. They're lightly raced. It's really tough to get a gauge for how good they were. I mean, Strike Crest ran well on the turf in four turf races, no worse than fourth and three times hit the board. One for the seven GQ ran really well in the debut, sort of deceivingly got stuck in a tight spot in between a line of four horses and then backed up, ended up losing a couple lengths better than it looks on paper. The blinkers come on Kimura sticks for career start. Number two, the dam did win on the turf and uh, yeah, good vibration. Remember this dam working that TVG. It was on when this one ran a few times. Covering the Woodbine races, having fun with the name uh, of Good Vibration. One, four, and seven 
for me. And then the next two, if you wanted to go deeper or this next two tier of horses that I don't really have a problem with, I just like others more. That would be the five and the eight who come out of the, the same race, right? Last Monarch and field hockey, field hockey should sit a pretty nice trip. I'm not sure how far he wants to go, but he could be in a really good spot. He's going to go second, start off the layoff. Then you have last Monarch on the outside who had some trouble last time out and has shown multiple dimensions. No problem with either one of them. I'll just use one, four, and seven in here. Let's close out the Friday pick five at Woodbine with the number one, Collect Dat. I think if you toss the last two, because they're going long on the synthetic, this is a horse who should be really fit, cutting back. Look at the July 2nd race, sprinting on the synthetic. That race would be pretty competitive with this group. It fit really well. I'm using Collect Dat all over. Should have some more punch in here. The seven, Halaga. Overall, the form is really good. This is a mare who hasn't won on the turf, but she was very competitive in her last two in uh, in the in turf spots. She'll make the third start of her form cycle. She gets back to the synthetic. She has speed. She's drawn well towards the outside. She can sit off if she has to. Uh, I had a tough time leaving her out of any exotics. I feel like a big race is coming from her. Cuts back, so she's just going to have... Uh, a good little stamina, fitness edge. One seven I'll use all over the place. If you wanted to go deeper, the two and the three are, are logical. I both of them will be forwardly placed in here. Hot cargo. Tough to knock overall. It's been horse has been in the exacta in five of six and Kara Kara. I think they'll probably be some be speed right next to each other. Kara Kara is probably the quicker, and maybe the horse they'll all have to catch. A situation where I'm not sure if she wants to go six and a half. And if Hot Cargo is maybe trying to chase or close up, I'm a little worried about the trip that she'll get. One seven, then three two. If you wanted to go a little deeper, there's a look at the Woodbine Pick Five for Friday. Fifty thousand dollar guarantee starts in race number two. Remember, you can get daily racing form past performances for free when you sign up for DRF Bets. Use that promo code Winning. Good luck on Friday over at Woodbine. We move from Woodbine on Friday over to Del Mar for Friday. Some best bets for Del Mar Friday, September the 8th. Closing weekend at Del Mar. Let's talk some Friday Del Mar as we dive into the past performances over at Daily Racing Form. If you head to drf.com, they have a full Del Mar handicapping store. So for the final few days of the meet, past performances, picks, clocker reports, betting strategies on Saturday, a big Saturday, the final Saturday of the Del Mar meet, the summer Del Mar meet. Let's dive into Friday. Got a couple plays for you throughout the card. On Friday, we're going to look at races 2, 5, 7, and 8 for my plays. Let's jump on in and take a look at race number 2. This one is a 5 furlong turf sprint. And there it's a maiden special weight race. I like a first-time starter in here. I thought the number 5, uh, Lady Litsum, fits pretty well. This horse's dam was a two-time winner on the turf. Had nice success on the turf. Showed speed going long on the grass and she's the first full from that one. The barn 
has really improved over the last couple of years with first-time starters. This is a barn who used to be excellent with their second-time starters, but now I think just getting better stock. Um, they've shown the ability to win often first time out. Let's take a look at uh, the recent success with first-time starters for this barn. And you can see uh, this is a five-year sample size. So they've been 11% over the last five years if we want to customize it to just the last year. We can see they've done even better. I think we're in like the four for the last 15 range, nine for 57 over, uh, over the last year. And if you look at the recent runners, they've had, you know, good success. Sushi Sticks, Julia's Dream, who we're going to see come back this weekend, Blue Eyed George, Endlessly, certainly capable winning with the, uh, with the right type of first timer who's ready to rock and roll. I think the five should offer us some nice value. Steady tab in a race where it doesn't feel like there are any monsters in here. I thought Soho's a little bit intriguing, but the reason why I leaned towards the other was just the barn success with first time starters has been much better as of late and should probably offer you better value. Sadler's just one for the last 29 with first timers over the last year. To look at race number two, the five horse we'll use in all early exotics. If we can get anything over five to one, I think that's worthy of a win wager there. Move into the fifth race. In this one, I'm going to look at the number six in here. This is Hot Thirst Trap. The debut race, you know, she was in a race where the winner went wire to wire. So there was no passing in that race. She had a slow start. And this barn's another one who's not been very good recently with first-time starters. Phil D'Amato, you know, they win everything, win tons of races at all levels. But look at how they've been with their first-time starters over the last year. Not very successful. Just one for the last 26. Then flip this to second-time starters. So we'll move from first-timers to second-time starters. Eight for 39. 21%. So much better. That's what we're going to get from Hot Thirst Trap, who's going to be stretching out for career start number two, bred beautifully. The dam was a multiple stakes winner against Calbreds. Really solid on the turf, unusual hottie. Five of the, I think, what, six, six turf wins, and five of them were going long on the turf. Expecting improvement from Hot Thirst Trap, the number six, 12 to one on the morning line. Let's move to race number seven. As we'll go a mile on the turf in here. I thought the one, Miss Limoncello, interesting. And this is another Mike McCarthy first-time starter, right? This one's going long on the turf. So let's take a look at this. We just looked at Mike McCarthy's first-time starters. We said like four for the last 15. Um, this Now let's go first-time starters going long. So we can go distance, routes. Five for the last 57, so 9%. But look at recently, the last three in a row, the last three horses that he started that have gone long have won, and all three of them were going long on the turf. Twice already this meet and once at Ellis. Track and field was one of his horses who, who lost to his other horse in this race, ran second, losing to a stable mate. So they've had a ton of recent success with the first-time starters going long on the turf at this meet. The dam only had one career race, 
but he's a half sibling to a horse named Fire at Will, who was a multiple graded stakes winner who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf at 30 to 1. So there's definitely some pedigree here. Bourne's had some good success recently. This horse is live with Hernandez jumping aboard from the rail. The one major player in here, the five Pink Whitney, had some serious trouble last time out. I'm expecting her to run a big race also. And let's get to race number eight. One more horse I wanted to look at in here is Medija, who I really think should enjoy this cutback. This is a filly who was going long on the turf last time out, was like 60 to one in a stakes race, and she ran really well down on the inside. She was kind of pulling. She really wanted to go. Now she cuts back to six and a half on the dirt. She can pass horses too, but she has a nice tracking style and some positional speed to where she should be right in the mix. I like her in here. Medea. She is the number eight in race number eight, and she's eight to one on the morning line, as Vince Scully would say. The eights are wild here in race eight on Friday at Del Mar. There's a look at some plays. Remember, six o'clock PM Eastern time for your first post, three o'clock PM local time at Del Mar. Closing weekend at Del Mar. We'll have some plays and some uh, thoughts on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday races coming up this weekend. Good luck. We shift the focus on over to Saturday. Let's start with Woodbine Best Bets. Then we'll get right into Del Mar Best Bets. And then we'll get into Louisiana Downs Best Bets for Saturday. Let's talk some Woodbine Saturday for September the 9th. Two graded stakes races on the card. So we're going to dive into those two graded stakes races. A couple of price horses I like in those two races. Eight and ten are the graded stakes races for Saturday. Remember, we're just a week out from another big day at Woodbine, Woodbine Mile Day on September the 16th. There'll be three grade one races that day with the Natalma, the Summer, and the Woodbine Mile, and then the grade three Vigil. So four graded stakes races overall. I'm going to have a ton of content. I believe uh, Barry Spears will be joining me to preview those races and probably whatever the big pick five sequence is on that day. For this day, for Saturday, September the 9th, we're going to stick to the two grade Stake, uh, two graded stakes races, one grade three, one grade two. We're going to dive into the daily racing form past performances. Remember, you can get these for free when you sign up for a DRF Bets account. So if you're looking for a place to wager, you can do so at DRF Bets, and then you will also be able to stack up credits to get free past performances based on the amount that you wager. Every time you wager 50 bucks, boom, you get one for free. Now they're giving you a sign-up bonus right now up to $250. So take advantage of it. Go right now. Deposit your 250 and they'll give you 250 right back. Use the promo code winning when you do so. Um, your 250 turns into 500. They give you a $10 free bet for registering. And then right off the bat, boom, 10 free formulator cards. A card is one day's track that we're looking at. And we're going to look at race number eight, the Sing Spiel. So we take a look at this field. We have from the inside out, ready for the lady. They're going to go a mile and a quarter on the turf in here. Ready for the Lady was actually last year's winner of this at a big price of 14 to 1. She beat British Royalty and Collective Force in that race. They're both back in here. Now, Ready for the Lady is very honest, but she needs some pace. You can just see it in her running lines. It's very obvious when you watch her races. She's going to drop way back. She's going to make one late run. Getting the inside draw should help her save ground here. And... If they go fast, she will come running. She shouldn't have any problem with distance, and she, you know what you're going to get from her. I don't know if they're going to go that fast early on in here. Drum Drum 
got the lead in a race that included Malibu Mambo and ready for the lady last time out and drum drum faded and finished second that day, but he's not fast. I said, ready for the lady. <laughs> she, he, uh, Dundrum just sort of got the lead by default in that race. Malibu Mambo made a really nice move up the inside. He's drawn on the outside. He's pretty consistent. He's in good form right now. He's been in some small fields though lately, so he's been able to navigate some pretty nice trips. I want to hit on the whole field if we can, at least a couple of thoughts. Dundrum to me is an, a cut below. British royalty could definitely win this race. He's just not very consistent as of late. That race two starts back in the Belmont Gold Cup. That would fit here, no doubt about it. And last year he was the runner up in this race, and that a repeat of that effort would be very good again here. He's another that's just not very fast early on, and I'm scared they're going to be going pretty slow early or just not a contested pace here. So Rock Emperor is a multiple graded stakes winner, super classy. He's earned $1.1 million, but he may have tailed off a little bit this year. Just looking at speed figures, no doubt this is class relief for him, but I like others better if you're looking at this race individually to play. Collective Force is kind of a fun long shot to use in some of your exotics if you're playing any sort of tries or maybe you're looking for a long shot to throw in a pick four or pick five because he has some tactical speed in a race that doesn't have very much of it. I feel like he'll need a race for his best, though, because we haven't seen him race since December of last year. So this is probably a starting point for him. I still think he could hit the board, though, like he did last year in the sing spiel when he finished third at you know six to one. Palazzi's won back-to-back races. I feel like he's going to be a tad short in here. I still think he needs to improve to get the better of this group. He was in for 50, just three starts back. And while he's been impressive in the last couple, and he's beat some of these same rivals, I don't know if he's going to get the type of trip that he received in either of those. I'm going to land on the number seven town cruise. This was your Woodbine Mile winner back in 2021. Following that, that race kind of, Took a little starch out of him. It was such a huge effort. Following that, they cut him back in the Arctic. He didn't actually run that poorly. And then he was off till the start of 2022. And then last year, 2020-2022, wasn't a great year for him. His only try going a mile and a quarter was his first start of the year. So he, he needed the race. He tired. He faded. Then he came back in the King Edward. He was in races where they went kind of quick. And that tempo isn't that great for him. He wants to be able to dictate it. When you see Filio Dariana in there, they're probably going a little too quick for Town Cruise. Tried the Woodbine Mile last year in Modern Games was in there. And then we can eliminate his start at the end of the year. So can we just be forgiving about last year for him and say it didn't work out? He wasn't in races that shaped up well for him. He's been way better this year. He's an eight-year-old. His first start of the year came when he was behind Dream Shake. And then Dream Shake came back to win the Connick Cup, a grade two in his next start. Following that... Town Cruise won as a slight favorite. He was seven to two in a wide open race. He ended up sitting fourth about two lengths off. He was in a perfect spot and he moved nicely to the lead. He just held off a charging horse and conglomerate, but I think he gets the lead in here. I think he's aggressively handled. He's going to make his third start off the bench off the third start of the form cycle. I'm expecting a step forward and a really nice effort from Town Cruise at 10 to one. So I think we were able to get through a thought or two on everyone in the field. Malibu Mambo. Yeah, no knocks. The recent form is good. I just want to see him now prove it 
against a little bit tougher. But if you like him, he's going to be in a, a spot. And he, I don't think he has to improve that much to be competitive with this group. Let's go to seven. My value line for this one is is like six to one. So if he's anything above the five to one, we're good on Town Cruise. Loves this turf course. Likes to win races. And now, I mean, he's shown he can sit off a little bit. But I'm just hoping they're aggressive with him. Put him right on the front end. Let's get to race number 10. It's the grade two Canadian. We're going to see Moira, your 2022 Canadian horse of the year. But she's been defeated in all three of her starts this year. She's run second in all three. And two of the three horses that beat her will show up in here. And she'll have to deal with Fevrover, who defeated her in the Nassau, then finished third in the grade one Diana, and then won the Beverly D, the grade one Beverly D. Fevrover is very classy. Her best races are on the lead. She's versatile, though. Look, she's she, it's not like she needs the lead. She can come from out of it. But I do think her best is when she's right on the lead or tracking. Moira continues to try the grass, too. Are they going to get her back on the synthetic, maybe, where speed figures would suggest last year she was a little more of a synthetic horse? You have Miss Dracaris, who's really quick now. And that's become successful for her, just showing speed. She's a grade two winner. She's won back-to-back stakes. She's won three in a row. I don't think they're going to blink with her. She's going to go second start off the bench. She should be fitter now, making her second start as a five-year-old. The way I'm seeing this race play out, though, I feel like the one and the three are going to have to be very cognizant of one another. I don't think Fev Rover wants to let Miss Dracaris get too far away. Moira is going to want to track right behind them. She's not as fast as either one of them, but I, I don't think she wants to be as far back as she was in some of her races last year. Maybe she does. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what she needs to have a more one-timed rally. But she's been much more tactical this year. I feel like the one and three impact each other. I'm a little cold on Moira as I just need to see a better effort from her. I'm going to land on the four skims. This filly seems to really be on the upswing. I think we can go through a lot of her form overall and it really makes sense. She was a winner last time out. She was fourth. She sat about three lengths off. She was always traveling well. It was an easy win. Two starts back, she runs behind in Italian. And in Italian, airs it out with a lot of runners. So many that just can't go with her. So no shame in losing to in Italian. Prior to that, she's in the American Oaks. She actually runs well that day. I think a mile and a quarter might just be like a tad too far for her. She did have a little bit of traffic trouble, but then she moved up and she couldn't really get straight late in that race. And that was her last start of the year. And she was off for four months. Back in October, she wins the Sands Point. Prior to that, she's beaten just ahead at Kentucky Downs, going a mile and five sixteenths. Back in August of last year, she's in the risk of her. This was a strong race. Look at some of the horses that come out of here. Gino Romantica is a grade one winner, won the QE2 Cup. The runner-up, Faith in Humanity, is a multiple graded stakes winner. Amorie was your third place finisher. This is a grade one winner and a multiple graded stakes winner. You've got Republic and Missy Greek. Both came back to win in their next starts. This was a loaded race. I love when you can go through a horse's form race by race and everything makes sense. We've got the nice win last time out. Two starts back. was just chasing a really fast lone speed horse in Italian. Three starts back wasn't bad, but a mile and a quarter, maybe it's a little too far. It was the race at the end of the year. It was off for four months. The October 15th race was good. And the September 5th race was good. Even probably a little farther than where she'd like to go. That's why she moves a little early there. 
August 25th, a really tough race where the first two are both future graded stakes winners. Now everything starts making sense. Going back to last year, not beating a whole lot behind Spenderella. Skims. She makes her third start now as a four-year-old. She's on the upswing. She beat Atomic Blonde two starts back. And the way I'm plotting this race out in my head, and I think both the six and the seven, I feel like are a little under the a uh, little cut below the rest. But I think if you're trying to find some value in this race, it might be with Skims. Because she has the running style to where she could sit a trip just like she did last time out. She could sit like fourth in here. Let the one and the three go after each other, and maybe she's right in that next tier. Moira, I need to see her prove it a little bit here. I mean, she's certainly capable of winning this race. She's classy. Even the races that we're knocking her for, she's run second, second, and second in a couple times. She's been behind Lone Speed. Maybe here she won't have to deal with Lone Speed because two of those Lone Speeds are facing each other. Now, I just think in in these races at Woodbine in particular, she's always going to be a little bit overbet because she's such a fan favorite. Skims, that's the play for me on Saturday at Woodbine in the Canadian. So we take a look at races 8 and 10, two graded stakes races on the card there at Woodbine. Best of luck on Saturday at Woodbine. Remember, next week is a big one next week with the Woodbine Mile, and we'll have coverage of Woodbine Racing every day they race on That's What G Said podcast and on social media. Good luck on Saturday at Woodbine. Closing weekend at Del Mar. Make sure to visit the Del Mar Handicapping Store for all of your handicapping needs, past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, and betting strategies on Saturdays. The final Saturday of the meet is this one that we're going to take a look at. Uh, we are we taking a look at Saturday, September the 9th. I'm going to take a look at races 5, 7, 8, 11. We'll kind of go through a couple of the stakes races. At first glance, I had a tough time finding horses that I thought had a lot of value out there. We will be diving into the daily racing form past performances. Remember, you can actually get these for free when you sign up for DRF bets and you wager with the DRF bets account. So sign up, use the promo code winning, deposit 250 because they'll give you all the way up to a 250 deposit match bonus and a $10 free bet. They'll give you 10 free formulator cards and you'll be handicapping, playing the races, and you won't have to spend money for those past performances. Let's dive in to Del Mar. I probably said let's dive in seven times so far in uh, like a minute and 30 seconds. Race number five is where we will start. It's the Juvenile Phillies Turf. Now, there is no early speed signed on in this race, so I'm going to take a little swing in here with this one. Angioletta was extremely impressive. They flew in that race, and she got a really nice setup. She was extremely impressive, but this race... The one's not fast early. Poppy's Joy has not shown much. Arctic Breeze is scratched out of here. The two, the four, Double Bay didn't show speed in the debut. I like Tambo. This horse has worked on the grass, was forwardly placed in both races sprinting. People may dismiss this filly because she had to win in a maiden 80 claimer, but it was a high-level maiden claimer. She has the type of running style I'm looking for in this race. Nobody else is fast early at all 
How far does she want to go? Will she take to the turf? Those are questions for sure, but you're going to be rewarded because she's six to one in here. I wouldn't want to take less than about five, but she is the lone speed in here on paper. No doubt about it. Race number five, the number five Tambo continuing along. Let's get up to the seventh race, which is the John C. Maybe Oakhurst stepping up, closing remarks. She's a favorite that's worth trying to beat. Niji Blanche makes a lot of sense, and as does the one right next to her. So I think if you were trying to beat her and you went with either the five or the six, that would be fair. I'd probably prefer Turner Loose. I wish you could get a little bit better of a price on her, but she's sort of a new face. She showed up in the yellow ribbon last time out, and she had a good start. They grabbed a hold of her. She was back to fourth. She was about two and a half lengths off, and she wanted to go. She did settle. Then she got caught in between. Um, she was in the two paths. She wanted to move. Uh, she got room at the top of the lane, but she was just a tad flat. Seemed like she needed the race off the long layoff. She was making her first start as a four-year-old, first start in nine and a half months. She has every right to step forward in here, and she'll need to. That's the problem. I'm not just excited at the value of either the five or the six, but I think if you're trying to beat the favorite, they're logical alternates. Eighth race, I'm going to look at the number 12 in here. This is a 50-starter allowance. So you have to have run for a 50 claiming tag or less in order to qualify for a race like this. You look at the number 12 and the only time this horse was in for a tag absolutely aired one that made in 35 claimer by nine and a half in his career debut. He was in a tough race at Churchill Downs behind confidence game. who's the grade two rebel winner and was in the Kentucky Derby. So debut he's in too tough. Comes back and he runs a monster race in his second start against Maiden Claimers on the big drop. That race qualifies him to get in a starter allowance like this. Then on April the 15th, he shows back up in a first level allowance that's just too tough. He was actually favored that day too. Feels like a really nice spot for Father Delay. Following this one, the 10th race is the grade one Delamar debutante. There's a big field in here. I would be surprised. Uh, the The long shot that I would include if you're playing this race is the four, Benedetta. I think she's intriguing. She's shown that she can sit a little bit. And the, the speedy filly that she chased last time out will have other speed to deal with in here. If Tamara, if Tamara's close to 7-2, to I'd be shocked. I think she's going to be played heavily in here she was extremely impressive she sat off like a pro and what i like about her too is that she won at six and a half so moving to seven is is not much different for her she's come back and worked nicely a couple times following the race i just feel like it's a she's a a very very nice filly and i would be surprised if she is anywhere in that three to one ish range it looks like Mandela could have a couple strong races because right next door or before in the ninth race, he's got the two seal team who was really impressive winning last time out. Dam's a multiple graded stakes winner going long on the turf. So we could see back-to-back Mandela chalk there at Del Mar in races nine and 10. Then in the 11th race, a couple horses I do want to mention. The one was impressive in that race at Dundalk, but we haven't seen since November of last year now goes long on the turf. The three calm C I like a little bit in here. That was a good race on March the 12th. That was his first time going long on the turf. He improved quite a bit. He was second. He just missed that day. Now he's off for a few months, has had time to grow up, improve a little bit. He's a must use for me. If you're playing any type of late exotics along with the, uh, the eight and the nine, six is going to take a ton of money. I'm okay. If you want to try to beat this horse first start of the year, 
Shea's tornado was really good finishing behind Watsonville. Then Watsonville came back and snapped me on September the 4th. When you're struggling and you see all the horses that run back that beat you. And Dandy Man Shines is the other one. If you look at the races he comes out of last year and how well some of these horses have come back, Packs of Wallop is a nice horse who was strong at this point last year and then was off for a while. He came back in that loaded race. But look at uh, the Me Hermano Ramon race where you have Me Hermano Ramon, Carver, Smart Code, who are all stakes, who are all winners coming out of that. Me Hermano Ramon comes back and wins a, a stakes race a couple starts after. And then even more recently was behind Conclude, who and Valiancer and Phosphorescence, right? This is the same Phosphorescence that beat Calm C. So he beat the horse who beat Calm C. Valiancer, we also see in the past performance running lines of some of the other foes in here, like Calm C again. But Conclude was the one who just came back and won the Del Mar Derby and has won his third consecutive stakes race. I don't worry about horses like this as much coming off the bench when they're going to be running late. Sounds sort of weird, but he's not going to have to run hard throughout the race. They're going to drop back early. Maybe he gets outrun a little bit, but then when they press the button, he'll come flying late. It's a little bit harder on a speed horse when you're coming off a layoff like that. I think he just drops back, makes one late run. Probably stack him nine and three as my top two, and then use the eight in some of the exotics there. Just look at some plays for Delmar on Saturday, September the 9th. Just a few more days left. Closing weekend at Delmar. Make sure to visit the Delmar Handicapping Store at drf.com. Good luck in all your plays. Just a few days left of racing at Louisiana Downs. It has flown by coming off of a a big super derby that was brought back this year. Let's make sure to end the season on a high note. Best bets for Saturday, September the 9th here. I'm going to look at races three and six with the daily racing form past performances. You can actually get these for free when you wager through DRF bets. So head right now and sign up for a DRF bets account. Use the promo code winning and deposit 250 because they'll give you a match all the way up to 250. All of a sudden your 250s doubled, boom, you're at 500. They give you a $10 free bet just for the registering and then you get 10 free formulator pass performances. Following that, every time you bet 50 bucks, you get another free formulator pass performance. Let's dive on into Saturday at Louisiana Downs. I'm going to look at races 3 and 6. Race number 3 Five and a half furlongs on the dirt. These are 5,000 non-winners of three. I'm going to go towards the outside to the number 11 in here. And this one is Preach It Girl. Tim Dixon and Jose Guerrero team up. Now, if you look at her recent form, she's been facing slightly better. She was at the 12-5 non-winners of three level in the last couple. One of the races, she tried the turf. I think we can just eliminate that one. Last out, she was against better. It wasn't a terrible effort but she was going five furlongs there. And I think she got a tad outrun early on. 
this race dropping down in class back to 5,000. Jose Guerrero jumps back aboard. He's had success with her. He was aboard for one of her victories. I think he'll make a wide move with this horse. He likes to do that. He likes to stay close early and then make a wide early move to the lead. And I think with this horse, with this post, it should fit very well for her to sit, move nicely into it. Preach it, girl. The number 11, who is 12 to 1 on the morning line. We move to race number six for our second play on Saturday over at Louisiana Downs. Looking at this Louisiana bred non-winners of three allowance race. Seven and a half furlongs on the turf. The number one, she told you so, was very impressive last time out. And she's been extremely impressive in her two turf races. And now she'll try the turf again. She'll get to sit a really good trip in here in a race that looks to have a good amount of early speed. I think right next door, Dance Little Darling should be forwardly placed. Miss Target wants to be pretty quick in here. Scrapbook stretching out. Strawberry Sunday wants to be forwardly placed. And then you have a horse who should save really nice ground from the inside and come running late. She told you so. We could see the two, three, four, five, seven, all showing combinations of positional speed, tactical speed, setting up for she told you so. Nine to two on the morning line. Anything over three to one feels fair on her. Couple best bets for Saturday at Louisiana Downs. We'll have plays for you the next few days. And then I think we'll do a good live stream to preview the mandatory payout, pick six and pick five, the last uh, sequence of the meet on Tuesday. Good luck to everyone playing the races this weekend. We finish up this episode with Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk about CM Punk fired from AEW. The last week and a half or so of All In, All Out, Dynamite, Collision, everything going on in the world of AEW. Then we get into WWE. Lots of positives over there um, as we finish up uh, the Payback review. We talk about Monday Night Raw. We talk about NXT. Everything happening in the world of wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Happy birthday to <laughs> you. Ever. We got to give a little shout out, a belated happy birthday shout out to our main man, Koopaloop, Chad Cooper. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us on this week in wrestling. This will be a fun show. There's nothing to talk about in the world of wrestling over the last week. AEW's had two pay-per-views. They fired CM Punk. WWE's had a pay-per-view. All sorts of drama in the wrestling world. How you doing, my friend? It is, uh, I'm a drama-free zone. I try to be each and every week over here, yeah. you know, but uh, as the world turns in the sport of professional wrestling, all we can say is, is wow, expect the unexpected every week in professional wrestling. There's always something to talk about here. Well, we got to start, let's start over on the AEW side because they had all in in Wembley, then they had all out a week later in Chicago, and the shows a lot of the, the wrestling in ring was good. They had 13 matches on the all out show. I think it was one of the, the situations where they didn't have CM Punk there. 
So they were they just wanted to give you everything they could as much as you could, like overflow and and maybe make the crowd feel like they didn't get a bad show. Um, coming out of the show, there's been all this weird energy because. They fired CM Punk. We're not sure what's going on backstage. We're not sure how everyone's morale is. Does Tony Khan really have control of the locker room? All this weird stuff there, Chad. And um, it's funny because I feel like there's just two totally separate things happening. When I watched last night's show, and we'll get into some of it, I actually liked a good like a lot of the things they were doing because it seemed like a different show they were telling a lot of stories they had a lot of promos a lot of like backstage segments didn't feel like they were shoving a bunch of stuff and and rushing everything um but man it it was hard for me to get really excited and feel positive based on what's happened over the last few weeks with them because this can't be looked at as a positive in any way shape or form um i i'm not I don't know the story. You don't know the story. We don't know exactly what happened. So I'm not going to try to take sides here, but Tony Khan couldn't get control of CM Punk for whatever reason. And I think everybody's got a little bit to blame, but that's not good when he was probably the reason you have a new show on Saturday's collision that was down to like 300,000 viewers this weekend, Chad. Yeah. And we knew that was coming with call it the CM. Yeah. Call it the CM Punk effect, uh, or whatever. Um, uh, wasn't there? Or I may be confusing this with dynamite ratings. No, um, so collision. Tony Khan. I'll give it hey, up to him. He came out at the beginning. Came out right, and he and That's he cut it. a promo, which was you know what? That was ballsy because you knew they were gonna boo the hell out of you. But I I think it was smart what he did, and it, it's the totally opposite of what WWE would have done. He wanted to try to make sure that their they their shows didn't get. Hijacked by CM Punk chance for Saturday and for Sunday. And you know what? The crowd, it seemed like they booed the hell out of Tony Khan. They they yelled and screamed at him and they kind of got it out of their system. They didn't really overtake a lot of the shows over the weekend. The crowds weren't huge. They weren't like selling, I think they had four or five thousand in a twenty thousand seat stadium that they sold, you know, ten thousand, twelve thousand last time. But it I appreciate what he did, and I, I'm actually surprised, Chad, because when you and I were talking a little bit, I thought the shows would get taken over more. But these AEW fans that went there, it was like they picked and choose a few spots, but for the most part, they were pretty respectful to the the wrestlers that were out there. Uh, ag- agree, agree. So my initial point was I can't remember if it was Dynamite or Collision, which show he came out on, and then the 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 ratings seemed to take a nosedive after that. Um, we knew they were suspended. Um, one of the things that we have applauded Tony Khan was the transparency AEW. Now we knew a lot of stuff was getting out of hand and, and let's be honest, we know there's a dirt sheet or two that is pro AEW oh, that yeah. helps them. And, and you can tell, and it's not worth mentioning because it, it, it's not the meaning of, of this conversation, but, um, we knew there was we we questioned how this would work by bringing a guy back who was there was problems with the initial locker room and you were creating a show solely for him and let's you be had honest, to, that's I know what this is for it that's was. What this is for it, it, it was it, it was at the end of the day collision was all about CM Punk and we knew there were going to be challenges once we got to September because of college football. 
and lo and behold, they got destroyed. Uh, Somebody said that this was the CM Punk's way of doing what Hulk Hogan used to do, where Hulk, <laughs> Hulk Hogan would always find a convenient way to take off time around this part of the year because it wasn't during WrestleMania. Like he could do it right after SummerSlam, and this Good was point. when football would come back. Or and you know, like the they they would say like like a down part and. It's almost like Punk was like here for a, some good ratings, and now when yeah. the show is going to go back down, I'm out. Yeah, right? I'm like, out. I'm, this is, I'm this out. is on me now. What What will be interesting here? So we've heard the AEW version. We've heard Tony Khan. There, they, his own words. This has not been. I didn't say that. That he feared for his safety. Um, did it start by Jack Perry? Should he have? Uh, there was a lot of immaturity going on here on all sides. That that to me is the most appalling. Like, dude, you're you're a pro, Chad. I'm a pro. You, you gotta work. I'm not going. Look, if you and you I like. had a different look, I have never and I, we've had a situation before, and you know what I'm talking about. We've had you know exactly what I'm talking about here. We had a situation where I was involved uh, with something. Um, it didn't work out. It was an ugly breakup. I've never publicly, uh, not that anybody cared because nobody did care. Uh, let's, let's, this is, I'm not talking about an AEW national level, but you, you know, the details I'm publicly just not going to say anything that is, is going to bring light of the situation. Maybe he was, Jack Perry was put up to it. Maybe he just thought I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But there was some craziness on both sides. And look, even look, we could talk about this for for weeks now. Who's to blame here? Look, after CM Punk was fired, the Young Bucks or did a victory lap in the did in a the victory race, lap, which I, I was mean, like, come on, this is this is not what a successful company. If you really honestly, Tony Khan, and this is the first for him. If you want to be considered a legit threat to the big boy, you you. Yeah, you're going to have bad eggs, and yeah, you're going to have to fire people. Lord, how many people have WWE fired? No one gets as worse as what happened to Vince McMahon over the last couple of years, right? No, but I mean, Ho- think about Hogan leaving, Bruno, oh, uh, Rowdy just- Roddy Piper, Jesse the Body Ventura, all these people who left, and there's there's no way they're ever going to be coming back, and they do, right? And Look- they do, but you make it work, you make you make it work for the business, for the fans to try to make things the best, yes. because you know what? AEW's company the, was the best version of themselves when CM Punk is there and everything can be they can use all of their resources. Right? That's that's when they would be at their best. The early days of CM Punk. Remember when we, when he was so happy at the beginning when he came oh, in? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. it was we like saying, who grows? Remember he yeah, was we're like who is play this by guy? play. He was on commentary. It was like, this is crazy. I'm here to help the young. I now do you go back and look at that though and think he was mocking? Oh yeah, I don't it, it was bad because it, it was uh, like overboard, bro. It was this so, ain't a punk. I know it was so heavy-handed there. And it's it's you wonder how long this will go on because you hit a great point. Like right now, today we're recording on Thursday, and all this stuff happened on Saturday. So it's still it's it's Already winding well, that's, down. That's, Gino, you know, that's what we were talking about after their biggest show of all time. Right, but nobody but was talking about those matches. But your your point is, 
it's already winding down and and it's not it would be nice if it was just like okay this is gonna blow over but you know punk soon is gonna come and give his side of the story that was my and that's, that was and that was you you've he already yet to hear from were, him and he's going to give a bombshell and and that's going, gonna bring this all back up again and it's yes. gonna get instead of talking about dynamite and collision because honestly now it, it, it mean it's not gonna help the ratings at all because no doubt about it punk was the draw. Their shows will both be better now that they can use everybody on both shows. I agree. I agree. Like, I already, last night on Wednesday on Dynamite, they promoted a bunch of stuff for Collision this week like they've never done before. Ever. And I think it was probably because the the rating was so bad on Collision 2. But they don't have Punk there anymore, so they're already promoting all these matches. And what's going to happen? Do I think the, what they put on there all is going to be great? No, but I, li- I like that. The shows can feel more like a whole instead of they're on two separate worlds, which is where they were before. The, the show was, was good overall. Um, you know, the pay-per-view and Moxley and Orange Cassidy was the, the main event. And they, what I like about Wednesday, what they did um, on Dynamite last night, coming out of the night, the things I remember the most are the promos. Um, Orange Cassidy has been one really consistent player for them, Coop, and they're elevating him. And I think it's working. Like, little by little, the guy's talking more. Because they. you understand that with a character like he had, I think you can only get to, to the point of where he was. If you're never talking and cutting promos at all, and your whole thing is just a comedy gimmick, you can still do really well like Orange Cassidy has, but I think they're trying to show that he has some new dimensions talking a little bit. And honestly, he's been one of the most consistent players for them. I don't know if he's ever someone that can be a world champion, but he's a guy that he wins you over week in, week out. Like he kind of wears you down every week. You're just like, damn, this guy's here again, like doing a pretty good job. And that was, that was sort of his promo. Um, I hope, that without Punk, this locker room can kind of rally together now. Because if Brian Danielson is going to be running the show on Collision, that's probably a lot better for Collision than if Punk was. Brian sure. Danielson's a smart dude. He can wrestle well, and everybody likes him. It just, without Punk there, was he the reason why they got that show to the network, right? Are the viewers going to keep going down and down and down to the point where... It's it's a struggle. That that's what I think. I think it's a, it's like a combination, right, Chad? If it almost feels like football season starting today, as you and I are recording, it almost feels like it's a year now for AEW where you know that you've got like a young quarterback or something, and you're just gonna lose a bunch, but you got to develop these guys now. It sort of feels like that, but can you do that now when you're in year four of a company? It almost feels like you're starting all over again. You know what I mean? After Punk. Well, I believe they are. But first, let's go back to Orange Cassidy. So I agree. Everything you said about Orange Cassidy, that's been – there hasn't been a lot of bright spots, let's be honest. No, and he's for, been consistent. Yep. Okay. So are you okay with him losing the belt to Jonathan Moxley, who now is basically going to do the same thing Cassidy did and do an open challenge or defend the title every week? Are we okay there or no? It doesn't bother – 
it doesn't bother me. I do think these two guys have been really consistent for them for a while. So if you want to make sure that Moxley's out there each and every week, and you know what it does elevate this title. This title is way more important than the the T uh the T T yes, yes. than the other title the Luchasaurus has right now. Oh sure, for sure, for sure. So it doesn't bother me. It just does seem a little the only thing that's weird about it is how many guys are gonna beat Moxley on this roster? Not that's that's my worry is that once you've elevated this so much, it takes so many people out of out of the pool. I, I like that this was more of a mid card thing. Now it's really like, oh damn, Moxley's right up there. Like who wh- who is beating him clean? Unless you have a situation where you give it back to Orange Cassidy once he's healed up in a, a week or two. Um, it like so positive to start. I don't mind that there. Um, the match goes a little long for me, like it, you know, for Moxley with an AR Fox. They do that kind of stuff. They yeah, that, I didn't like. I didn't like the 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 match was okay. There's no problems, but I, I think it was it was too long. Now, here's what I don't enjoy. We're coming out of the pay per view. At the end of the pay per view, they've got or at the end of the Adam Cole MJF match, Samoa Joe comes out. Samoa Joe and MJF get into it. And then on Dynamite, Samoa Joe and MJF have this really good in-ring segment. Like, MJF is full babyface now. And Samoa Joe was reminding people how good he is on the mic, how imposing he is, how scary he is. I was like, oh, this is great. If you're going to pick Joe to go with as MJF's next opponent, why the hell do you even need a tournament like this to squeeze in in a week and a half? You've already— I never— this, you, this made zero sense, dude. You already established coming out of the pay-per-view that Joe is going to be the guy. Why did you need to throw a bunch of tournament matches on the next few weeks? Because when we what all... happens, Gino, if Samoa Joe, who has a track hurt. record of getting hurt all the time, gets freaking hurt? And then the next question. Why, when I'm looking at the tournament bracket, why aren't Takeshita... Who just beat Kenny Omega twice Where's he in that tournament Where's Omega even Why isn't Hangman Page in there Where are like When they do some of these things They'll have like a battle royal for a number one contender Or they'll have a You know a tournament like this Why aren't your best top tier talent In that tournament It's because they don't want those guys to lose They try to play everything too safe And it's starting to hurt them Like you know now Even more than WWE Almost all the time who's winning and who's losing a match. Almost always. And it, it it does take away a little bit from the match. It can be as great of an in-ring worked match as possible. No missed spots. But if you always know who's winning and who's losing, it's going to be a little bit harder to 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 get into. And I, I didn't I didn't understand because Me neither. You just, I, I hate I, I hated it because let's be honest, you and I both be honest. How many tournaments or gauntlet style weekly or over pillar matches has eliminate. They're done. doing another eliminator match at the same time with the women with like the same exact. Yes, it's, a, it, it's coming up next week and for the number one contender, and it had it, it, it's never amounted to a hill of beans. You have the That's grand slam down south. By the <laughs> you have the grand slam show <laughs> in in uh, New York. And you know that'll be a great show for MJF versus C, uh, for MJF versus Samoa Joe. Why don't you just let them have another week or two of cutting promos instead of having 
match, match. How about this, right? You and this was, I think, Justin Labar said this when I was listening to the Wrestling Inc. Uh, show uh, like early this morning from last night. Okay, if you don't want to do that, let's say you're still dead set on having this tournament, you needed to have Joe's match right there, right after that. Like they get pulled apart and separated. And then Joe has his match against Jeff Hardy right there and just beats the crap out of him quickly and looks imposing. But now you have Joe versus Jeff Hardy on Rampage? Pitiful. It it just just is. So the idea for Joe and MJF, good. I think that was a good call. Like, if you're going to go with MJF as a babyface, you only have two weeks for a show— Samoa Joe is like one of those guys we talked about. He's like a Jericho. He's like a Sheamus. He's like a Miz. You can slot him in anywhere at any time, and he feels fine. And that was great. It was a great call. Like, you know what? There's a lot of this negative energy going on. We can turn MJF fully fit babyface. The crowd gets behind him. And, like, let's go get a big heel that people will like Samoa Joe. Boom. Why do you make it worse with all the tournament stuff? It just... It's I, I think I, I, I Gino, I think it, it's about getting more people into something that, hey, here's a match. You're not going to win, but at least you're on TV. And whether it be Dynamite, Rampage, or Collision. And and somebody said this recently, and I think, and it is a, a thing. You know, Tony Khan, he gets excited for the matchups more than the stories, right? Yes. He's like, yes. look at this matchup that I got these two guys that have never been together or they've wrestled 20 years ago and they're back again. And that's really cool. And I like that he gets so excited for that and for the tournaments, but tell us a story along the way. The best things they did on this episode were when they continued to tell stories. Um, Statlander picks up a win, which was an open challenge. So... They're giving her some TV time. They're they're building her up. Um, now, okay, I'm going to say some a couple of conflicting things. First, this is the best character work Roderick Strong has ever done in his life by far. Like, by far. Roderick Strong has always been an in-ring guy. He's doing the neck brace gimmick, which is hilarious. And he comes out. He wrestles a match. T- they take the neck brace off. He wrestles a match fine. And then as soon as the match is over, he wins. The guys come back and put the neck brace on him. That was <laughs> that was hilarious. Cool. That was funny as hell. It and, is. It is. And, and it's just to me, I love it because Roderick's always been a good in ring worker, but he's never had any, um, never had any character. So well, let, let look. Let me be very transparent. Uh, I was very disappointed how he was used in the latter part, or maybe even for the most part. In um, NXT. In NXT. I, I said Especially that Especially once and those I'm guys left. Now. Yes. Yep. Yes. I agree. Yes. But, but here's the – so shout out to Roderick doing, like, all these little things to make it great. And and it's, it's good character work. What the hell was the video package they showed? Didn't like which it. Which was, like, the – okay, so he's – He's becoming a really whiny, smarmy heel. That that's great. Why would you? This was like the Lacey Evans stuff, where they show us a, a video package of Roderick Strong growing up in a household where his parents were on drugs and addicted to substances, and they weren't around and they weren't paying attention to him, and that he still got through all of that, and wrestling was his escape 
This was like the most babyface video ever. How are you supposed to feel about Roderick Strong coming out of this when I'm watching him like, I feel bad for this guy. I'm rooting for him now. But that's not how you're sp- – this was really weird. And then Tony uh, Schiavone made a comment like like the video might have been fake. He said, oh, that's Roderick Strong manipulating everybody. But <laughs> I don't think it was fake. I'm pretty sure that this was like real – like that's some of his real backstory. I, if it was, they did a terrible job of of trying to – of trying to explain that to us, right? They just it just seems so convoluted. The simple things that they need to do to get people over, and I don't know why we have to go through it. I don't. I didn't know so what WWE's, the hell. You mentioned it, Lacey Evans. I don't know how many times we had to be reintroduced to her, and it's I, just do the simple things. You know, go back to the original when she was the walking out as the classy lady. You know, and all these nasties. That worked. Don't try to repackage her nine different times and it never works out. So there, WWE's been very guilty of that, but it seems like AEW does it a lot now. A lot. You don't need it with Roderick. You don't. The Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara stuff, they beat Aussie Open. It. I just feel like we've seen this with them already a couple times. Like, they're mad at each other. Are they going to break up? They're going to get back together. It's fine. It's just I literally feel like we've seen this exactly two or three different times already with them. We uh hey man, Ricky Starks. This was an incredible promo from Starks, but now, but now it's weird. He was getting all that momentum as a babyface a few months ago. You and I were all over this guy. We loved him what they were doing. We were so pumped that they were giving him time. And then all of a sudden, he's out of sight, out of mind, and then they have him turn heel. But this was a total babyface promo. Yeah. So I don't know what they're doing. Like, <laughs> let him be a babyface right now if that's what you want. Or even just like an in-betweener. He doesn't have to be a white meat good guy. But let him be more like this. Um, MJF, Joe. I liked a lot of the back and forth. I just don't like when MJF is too sharp and witty to go for the – especially if he's being a babyface right now, to go for the like – Pillsbury Joe boy and the fat jokes It's like come on You know like Joe's a badass Nobody's ever calling Joe fat Like a fat like you know So I don't like I just don't like Those kind of cringy I know that's like heel heat but it's kind of lazy No and uh, You know back to the Samoa Joe MJF thing They reference WWE multiple times Too many times just Too come many on. times. We've, we've got to move on from this. It, it makes you times. look petty, really petty. You're a world champion. Let's stop. Yeah. Let's just stop. Let's move on. This isn't. He just signed. He just finished his contract, or he quit two weeks ago, and his and his non compete is over. Let Let's move on. We're yeah, we're whole... being. It was funny and shock jockish at the beginning. It really was. Oh, what is Brian Danielson gonna say? What is John Moxley gonna say? Uh, let's move on. Seriously, yeah, let's move on. It, you're. You, uh, your whole story was sort of built on a thing that happened in NXT that a lot of people on your show may not have seen or might not know. It happened a while ago. You know that you gotta if if you're going to do stuff like this, there has to be a way to show it or to explain it a little bit better because not everybody watches every single thing. That's always been their problem, and I think a lot of the time it's going to continue to be their problem until they really hamper. The the video packages more, the recaps a little bit more, 
Um, Roderick Strong won his match. Tony Storm is, I will say, this gimmick she's doing, it's not bad. It's just, it's kind of crazy. I'm, it's, it's, it's different, and I'm, I'm intrigued a little bit by it. She's sort of doing like a, a an old starlet. She calls her matches performances, um, which I thought was pretty funny. And she throws shoes. She's doing. She even said some lines that were from Mar- uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel um, last week. So, I the show, this show, felt like it was better in a lot of the. There weren't a billion things happening, and then like we cut to the next thing, and we cut to the next thing, and then six people come out at the end of that match, and then there's like interference here with another group of people. It felt like there were some good building segments throughout. Um, I think the one that I. I enjoyed the most of the night was the the Swerve segment. Dude, Swerve is a star. Like, he called out Hangman Adam Page, and he said, you know, you've gotten lazy. How come you're never out here? Like, why aren't you wrestling? <laughs> and this is what a lot of us have said about Page. We said this a couple weeks ago. We're like, where is he right now? Why isn't he wrestling more matches on TV? Is he hurt? Is there something going on? And, Dude, and then look, pa- look, Gino, just what what is the one word we say with all this? Just be consistent. Consistency, with it. man. Consistency. That's like, it. Your flagship show is on Wednesday. Swerve needs to be on. Starks needs to be on every Wednesday. If you want to put them on Saturday nights for collision, yeah, I promise you I'm not going to follow that on Friday nights. Saturdays, I might turn it over while I'm checking my college scores, scores. And updates, yeah. right? But be consistent, and Swerve has been consistent. He was in the E. In WWE, he was. He was awesome. That was another He's, one that was that never should have been let go. Never. He cuts. He cuts great promos. He's got a presence to him. He's good in the ring, and he basically told Hangman Page, "Look, I'm better than you. I just didn't get the opportunities that you've been getting from day one." And it was good. And Swerve should win this feud, and and it would elevate the hell out of him, and put him up because he just he's always losing. One hundred percent. Those tag, whether it's the tag matches, remember him and Keith Lee are supposed to be in a feud against each other. Then they're tagging and they're losing and they're losing. Let him win. Push him. That's what's going to bring viewers to the table. Honestly, I'm not trying to be ugly, Gino. No, it is. You got it. Look, John Moxley winning the title from Orange Cassidy is not going to bring viewers, but at least he's been consistency. Consistent. If you want more people to start tuning in, have. Uh, Swerve, Ricky Starks, Swerve, Roderick Strong, every week. Don't make me turn it to Friday nights on, on no. TV, TBS or TNT. To you got to because that's, that's exactly we don't do that. Exactly what Wade Keller was saying last night. And you know, with WWE, they don't worry about having you. There's only like one or two people where the WWE worry about like burnout or and it's like that's Roman right now it was Brock before and it's only because those people have earned it after being there before you pick your 8 to 10 people and they're on every show yes every week major parts of it other people come and go but those same people are always there they're wrestling Seth Rollins is always wrestling on TV Drew McIntyre he's always there he's always on TV you always see you know certain characters and that's why they get over like that. That's why when they're not there for one week, one show, all of a sudden it's two weeks since you've seen them, you know, and think about between watching like a Monday night raw or watching a dynamite and then watching a dynamite two weeks from now, 
How many other wrestling shows have we watched? How many other football games have we watched? College football games, basketball games, TV shows. How many other people or characters are in our mind in between now and then? You know, Um, they end with Darby Allen versus Nick Wayne in a tournament match. Here's another great one. Like, why the hell is Nick Wayne in this tournament? <laughs> what, like, in, in, why is he in, in the main in, event? Honest kayfabe, what has he done in this company to earn himself a spot to be two matches away from a world championship match? Like, what has he done? Darby Allen just lost to Luchasaurus. Literally, just lost. If we're playing the kayfabe, Jay Lethal's in this tournament. What has Jay Lethal done as a singles wrestler to be in a world championship tournament? No, I am the man. (laughs) You know, and I love Jay Lethal, but if if you were this is the biggest problem. If this was your plan, and and look, maybe, maybe I will maybe I'm being a little too hard on them because maybe they had some plans with CM Punk and now they can't they can't play those out. That's very valid. But if this was not and you had this tournament planned to lead to Grand Slam, why for the last month would you not be getting the people you were going to put into the tournament some wins? That's all. You book this shit. You know what? Like We say this to WWE too. If you know you're going to do that, why not? You know, Nakamura's been badass. He's looked awesome. The problem is that we're having with him again now is that he's not winning a lot of matches. So... You have this guy in a heel turn, and then he loses, he gets DQ'd, he's probably going to lose again, and then how serious is anyone going to take him? You maybe should have had him stack up a few wins before you got to Rollins instead of just immediately going there. I'm always a fan of that, and that's one thing that I I thought was really weird about this tournament. It wasn't needed. It didn't make any sense. You already had a great main event set up, and nobody believes that anything but Joe is going to happen in this. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't be anyone but Joe. Because you you booked yourself into a quarter. Now he's got to win it. He's got to. Um, One more thing to mention about this. Christian says to (laughs) to Nick Wayne, he says, hey, I just wanted to apologize to you. I, I looked up some of your dad's wrestling work. He was actually worse than I thought. God, he was terrible. <laughs> it, it's so funny how Christian's doing some great stuff right now, too. Yeah. I wish we yeah, could see is. him. I don't know if he's really hurt or, like, how much he can do in ring right now if they're kind of being sparse with it. But, damn. So let me ask you, yeah, and it probably is, you know. It, yeah. So let me ask you this as we transition to WWE. The two big free agents are both uh, probably beyond their prime. Edge, Adam Copeland. And uh, CM Punk, do you see what do you see happening more than the other? Edge going to AEW, Punk going to WWE, neither or both? Definitely Edge more to AEW. I don't, if I was WWE, I would not touch Punk with a 10 foot pole. And I don't not, think they are. I no, think I mean, the dirt either, sheets but, are stirring always, it up to make them look bad. And I'm sure there's a couple people in the company who like Punk. Who at least want to entertain the idea or throw it out there or say, hey, look, we could bring him in. And in this setting with all of our guys and and everyone around, he's not going to act that way. I just don't think you risk it. Like, what? And and I think they're doing it to make WWE look bad. I don't think they're entertaining it at all. No, me neither. Would it it surprise me? 
Uh, okay. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a little it would because things are so good for them right now. If this was yes. like five years ago when they were at a stretch when like uh, flopping the, around, yes, yeah, and the and like the whole energy wasn't good. Right now, everything you hear about WWE is positive. Like everything, business numbers, ratings are good. Like the morale is good. Every city they go to, the fans are talking about how great the shows are again. The experience is good. It wasn't like this a couple of years ago. No, you know? and I don't think they need that to keep not that rolling at all. or get more eyes. I don't think you ruin. I don't think you ruin the good thing you've got going right now. You've even had guys like Seth Rollins say loudly he doesn't like CM Punk. And I, does Adam Copeland help AEW over the hump? I think he helps them more. He would probably help them Short, more backstage. Well, backstage than he would even in ratings. Like, maybe he pops a rating for them for one night. I, you're not going to put the title on him and have him run w- like your world champ. I don't know how much you're going to get out of him in ring and stuff. He just, it would be, from everything I read and hear, just incredible to have backstage, right? To help, like, the, the total opposite of Punk, help all the young sure. guys, been here, done that, tell fun stories. He seems like that type of guy, cut really good promos. But, um... Do you have like him come in and you know beat MJF and then go on a world title run? I don't know. I don't know if you do that. We shift on over to WWE. They come off of a good payback show. And the shows that aren't as hyped, man, they always over-deliver for them. The match of the night might have been the opening match. Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus in a steel cage. For all the crap that this had, these two ladies beat the hell out of each other in here. I got to give it up to Trish because... She did exactly what you're supposed to do as a heel on their way out. She lost. Then at the end, she looked like Smarmy and Zoe was able to get the better of her. And then Trish is gone. And that's Love what it. you're right. That's what you do when you leave the territory. She even cussed somebody out at ringside. Yeah. Right she was entering the cage. It was fantastic. And then Just, the pictures afterwards, you know, we crapped on it. I, I crapped on it. I said it's been a lackluster build. And it, it was. You, you, and it I, was. And, and, and because I really do think, and I'm going to stand by this, I think because it wasn't added a part of SummerSlam and it yep. took a back seat. Not that it needed, not that it uh, that it was, but when you hold it off, it just seems like, okay, it's not good enough to be on your, what, second, maybe uh, second biggest PLE show of the year, the biggest, second biggest behind WrestleMania. Maybe Royal Rumble is big or whatever, but the, SummerSlam is generally the second, but I tell you what, uh, that match was was phenomenal. Both fantastic. Of them. Both of those women were great. L.A. Knight versus The Miz. This was a lot of fun. Uh, L.A. Knight picks up the win. He gets uh, a little rub from John Cena, who is a special guest ref there. He holds up his uh, Cena holds up L.A. Knight's hand afterwards, and then on Monday Night Raw. The Miz had this hilarious segment where he interviews a f- nobody pretending to be John Cena. He pretends like John Cena's there. He says, you can't see him. I can see him. You can't see him. And he's asking him questions. He does the skull-crushing finale on him. This was like when Ric Flair would do that, right? When he would do the elbow drop in the ring to, like, nobody. Um, this was funny, man. Miz is on a good roll right now. And the rumors, Chad, were that WWE was waiting on the big push for LA Knight until he signed a contract extension. And rumors are he just inked a deal and to expect 
that push coming forward. I mean, you could feel it coming with him getting the big win over Finn a few weekends back, him getting the win here over Miz, and then Cena kind of giving him a little bit of a rub. It looks like they're going to have one more match with him and Miz. It's We've been a little patient with LA Knight, but now we're a starting little, to find out why, right? It, I know. We're starting to find out why it may have been they just wanted to make sure this guy was in it for the long haul. They didn't want to put a rocket on him and then have him leave and, and go somewhere else. So if he's signed and he's around for a while, now's now's the time to really get him get him back elevated. Like, is he someone that you have maybe beat Gunther? Well, that, you know? that's my next question. After the Miz, uh, where do we go from here? Yeah, I think... I think Gunther. Gunther feels great. That'd be a great transition because Gunther gets the win over Gable. Man, oh, man that, that was, was a too. fantastic match on... They let it main event Monday Night Raw. Chad Gable gets a chance to shine. Ooh. He was so good. And at the end... His daughter's crying. She's crying in the front row. And you know that those these kids aren't young enough to know or to fake. No. That's real. That's real. She thinks daddy's hurt and she thought daddy was going to win and daddy didn't. And man, it it makes it better to see something like that. When And the shout out to the directors and producers because they cut right to her and boom, the tears start coming right at the after the match. This was great, man. This was so good for Gable. This, even in losing, this elevated him so much. This did more for him this last few weeks than his entire first couple years on the main roster, as far as making him feel like legitimate again. One hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it was done. When WWE does good, boy, do they do good. You know, this and is the machine. They, when they and, get behind someone like this, and it, who we we knew Chad Gable. Was so entertaining with just one word. Shush! Shush, please! And then Bailey was wearing the shirt. Becky Lynch, during one of her promos with, with Trish on Raw, told Becky to shush, and the crowd went nuts. It's just the little things that I believe that WWE saw with the crowd, and they got behind it and said, hey, look, this is natural. You can't teach us stuff. You just can't. You can't teach the fans who to like and hate. They just, it never really works out like that, right? They did two really, really good things. Chad Gable, and they now listen to uh, the fans with LA Knight. And if that's the case, when he signs the contract, he shoots the rocket. Well, when they get behind you and they listen to the fans, it's more organic. And it's, it's, it's just a lot better television product when you get it. When he was, there were two wrestlers that I felt, like were can't miss when I watched them when they were really young a few years ago. And Gable was one. Um, and when he was the first time I saw him on the screen in NXT, when he came and he was corny, he was trying to work out the catchphrases and he was trying to find a tag team partner. That was his initial gimmick. He was trying to find a partner and then he found Jason Jordan and then they teamed up and they become, became an awesome team. And he was doing the ready, willing and Gable. And he had the towel. And, <laughs> yes. and I remember. I forgot about it, that. It, I was like, I went and showed my dad this guy. And I was like, because they gave him the name Gable, which is like a wrestling name. You know, like sure, a, sure. A, a a real wrestling name. Like yeah, a the All-American. Yeah. yeah. And look, there, there's a, a, a national wrestling, not professional wrestling, but professional re- uh, national wrestling hall of fame. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fame. Yeah. So Dan Gable was like a, Really, really well known 
um, greatest wrestler like of all Iowa. time. Somewhere in yeah. Iowa, I believe. Yeah. 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 And um, so it was cool. They were playing off on that. And I remember thinking, this guy's got like Kurt Angle. There's some Daniel Bryan because he's like a smaller. There's some Owen Hart in there too. Like when you see in the way he is in ring and, and how good he is. And then they couldn't figure it out. They were doing the shorty G stuff. It was like Vince, I don't know, for some reason never. And I felt like, man, he could be such a strong mid-card contender, just a guy to go out there and have good matches every Yeah, the shorty the G time. stuff, unless that was his idea just to do something, just, uh, then okay. But I felt like it was more of a rib than anything. Yeah, it was. And then they... Sometimes you got to find the comedy thing. They found it with American or with uh, Alpha Academy here with yeah. Otis, with Maxine. And then it was able to, then they were able to use the comedy to elevate him in ring. And it, I thought all, all around like a home run from them on what they did there. And uh, man, like um, other stuff on the pay-per-view, the other girl that I thought, was can't miss in the May Young Classic. She was blonde, didn't look anything like she looks right now. <laughs> she looked like she was almost like a Charlotte Flair cosplay, but she was tall and she just had something. It was Rhea Ripley. Oh man. And I and I was like, I remember I sent a message to my buddies in my like text group. I was like, dude, I'm buying stock in Rhea Ripley right now. Like I I swear this girl and it was another instance where sort of took her a while. And well, when look, she came during up, COVID, look, right before COVID, she's the world women's champion, right? She's going to headline against Charlotte Flair or something in and, Tampa. or and, and we weren't buying it. We weren't buying she, it then. Her promos were really bad. She she was trying was to rough. like be like baby facey. They couldn't figure out her character or her voice. It just wasn't connecting. And then it started impacting some of her ring work. And man, now everything is different. The problem they have is that she's so over and she feels like such a big star. They don't feel it doesn't feel like there's like any women around that are in her stratosphere at all. No, and, and that that's the one downer to this because you can see it with um we've and, and this is fine. I'm not look, look I, we're talking about the women's division specifically on Raw. Um the women's tag team champions have just been an absolute curse. Okay, now we, find, yeah. now we find out Piper Niven uh, was sick, couldn't make the show. Chelsea gets buried in a quick match against Raquel Gonzalez. But we kind of feel like we've already seen Raquel and Rhea. But that does happen when, when one person takes over and Becky's not involved. Because um, you're right. It's only the only ones right now that feel like they would you could even entertain them having a chance against Rhea would be Becky and Bianca. That's it to me. Uh, maybe Shayna, but it looks like yeah. we're going Shayna yeah, Becky. Maybe. But we're going Shayna Becky, though. That's what we're getting at, right? And and uh, maybe and there's something to do with Zoe. Like, are we getting a tag? That, team? that is true. That they is might true. be. They might be sort of going with Shayna and Zoe, like they were going to run with Shayna and Ronda. That could be. But that's the only problem with that is, I as much as we love Candice LeRae, um, she just hasn't been used in that form to make a legitimate contender. No. Regardless no. if they have good, there's no Alexa Bliss. She's gone. Um, They've got her. Like we, yeah, we need someone to step up right now because it looks like we're going back to the Raquel web. Uh, well, again, she squashes Chelsea Green. That's fine. I, 
I just, you know, it's whatever. But that is the one part that's that's a big negative of of uh, Rhea being so hot, not only on Monday nights but on Tuesday nights as well. well this look, has been a problem with Roman on NXT. That, well, that's a good point. That's a very good point because you get them at such a level that they're just a whole level of of wrestler that you can't even put put them in to be believable with. You know, they're yeah. just like distancing themselves from the field. Sure. Shout out to Rhea. She's done great work. They're going to have another match coming up with Rhea and Raquel. They had that established, and Dominic will be banned from ringside. So that's going to be coming up next week, Rhea versus Raquel. I like that they're not having Raquel. Like, she's still looking strong, but they have to get her over more with the crowd. It's the same exact thing that we were just talking about in AEW. Raquel went from being in a tag team to just being the number one contender. She didn't have to win any matches. We didn't see her dominate in singles matches along the way. She just went from tag team wrestler to now she's facing Rhea, Rhea for the women's championship. Good point. Yeah. The Judgment Day pick up the win. They are your new tag team champions. And now they have a lot of stories they can tell with those tag team championships with JD McDonough. Poor JD gets just slammed on the <laughs> announce table by KO. And then Sammy's just beating the crap out of his back on Monday Night Raw. JD uh, picks up a win. But they're they're doing the same sort of thing they did with the Bloodline. They've got all these moving pieces in the Judgment Day. And it's it's pretty intriguing. You know, it, it's, it's a good way of telling a story. And shout out to the Judgment Day. They were on main event before they came together with Rhea. We weren't sure what they were going to do. Remember, Edge was a part of this group. And then when he was gone, we weren't sure. And now... They are very intriguing, and Jey Uso comes over to Raw, and they, dude, this is what stuff I've been begging WWE to do for years. They have all of the guys that he's interacted with through the years follow up on their stories. Like, every, everybody hates him because, you know, when he's in the bloodline, they took out Matt Riddle. They took out Drew McIntyre. They took out Seth. They take everybody out. And now Jay shows up there like, hey, I'm a nice guy. And everyone remembers, no, you're not. I want to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> I love that they just didn't forget it and make it seem like here's nice guy Jay. And what this is going to do is this is going to impact the relationship between Sammy and Kevin. And we don't even know who's going to be sent back over to SmackDown. It might be Kevin, right? Maybe it's him. Maybe that's why they get mad. Maybe Sammy and Jay start teaming up. There's so many ways they can go with this. And it made Jay Uso feel like a big deal. Yeah, very big deal, especially coming off that, you know, with Roman was so we invested so much, uh, not only on Mondays, but on Fridays. And then coming off of that and putting the bloodline, uh, putting it on the back burner for a little bit. uh, Jimmy quitting, quote, unquote, quitting uh, Jay having issues um, solo um, now bringing him over and just letting him have some banger single matches, man, is going to be really, really good for not only him, but for us as, as the viewing audience. Yeah. The pay-per-view also had uh, Mysterio beating Austin Theory, and it looks like we're getting more of that Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, that tag. Man, they could be a really fun tag team because Waller kind of helps pump up Theory, and I'd, I'd love to see them in the tag team division. Um Rollins picks up the win over Nakamura clean. I guess that was the one that was a little surprising to me that it was clean because it looks like they're continuing the feud. And here's what I don't get major critique. Why the hell would Nakamura not accept the free championship match? Right. 
That doesn't make any sense to me. Why? I agree. Why? Like, why? And then we, we've heard it before. What, didn't Ricky Starks? That happened with him and AEW. Yeah. We were like, wait a minute. No, he wants to start all over and work his way back to the top. It's like some little tournament or something he had to win. To, no, it's like, no, and, I don't want my rematch yet. And Nakamura's a heel. It doesn't make sense. And no, I don't like it. I don't like that. I do like that Ricochet at least addressed that he hasn't been around. Maybe yeah. he's the guy that gets traded because he brought it up, right? I could see Adam, uh, I could see like Pierce yes. saying, hey, you know what? You were looking for a new opportunity. Uh, here's an opportunity for you. We're going to send you over to SmackDown and you're going to get a chance to be, you know, in the fighting for the U.S. championship. So something sure. like that. I, I, I could like that because just like you said with Jey Uso, they didn't do with Ricochet. He had that great feud and a great buildup with Logan Paul, and then boom, we don't see him. You know, and that's and that's a bummer. Um, anything else from Monday Night Raw? You know, the Drew McIntyre, Matt Riddle stuff with uh, Kofi, it's kind of intriguing because you could it see the, the leaves of Drew getting ready to turn, and he just, he's not as just, hey, guys, I'm happy Drew McIntyre here for the fans. This, he's got, what, this, this would... And I'm gonna take your line. Maybe it's not verbatim, but this would what would happen in real life, right? Exactly. This is exactly what you if we're in Drew McIntyre's spot position, his shoes. This is what you would do in real life. And that's nobody why seemed, it's so much more believable. Nobody seemed out like they're like, "Hey, look, I know you were trying not to do that, but isn't it a coincidence that it happened right after I hit you last week?" Exactly. <laughs> like they weren't acting like you know. So many times somebody hit someone on accident and we all saw it was on accident and they pretend like we didn't see, like, we all know it was on accident. Why are you mad at that person? It wasn't, um, this is a great point. It just, these are words and actions that real people would have, not like corny stuff that we don't see. I, I thought a three hour show that sometimes can drag and this one just didn't like, they're really telling good stories. So many of the characters right now feel like, They've got a good story being told. They're they're being paid attention to. Um, yeah, good stuff all and, over. And I think they're going to be even more creative because you know what happens on Monday. We have a double dose of Monday Night Football that begins. Oh yeah. Now yep. there is a big contract dispute uh, between the one of Spectrum, the Spectrum. I know. I'm that, dealing with that. I got to jump on. Hey, YouTube raise TV. my hand. I'm old school. I'm right here. Hey. I'm a, I'm a cable guy. I'm old school. And it is uh, th- th- not being able to watch college football. People are saying, like, are you a grandpa? Why don't you have streaming services? I'm just a cable guy. I am. When I, and I, you know, I um, woke up. It's, it's the things you don't even realize. You know, because no. I am I set my alarm the other day because I'm watching the uh, uh, the USA men's basketball. They're in the FIBA tournament, right? So I, sure. I'm watching some of these games because uh, Austin Reeves from the Lakers is playing and he's doing really well. And so I, I'm watching him. So I set my alarm the other day to wake up at five o'clock and I forgot it was on ESPN, you know, and I turned it on and I couldn't, wa- it wasn't on there. I couldn't watch it. I had to but pull usually, up. You know, usually we get that ugly crawl ticker down at the bottom. You yeah. Know, call to now we just got it spectrum saying, hold up, because long story short, ESPN says within two years, they're going to a pay for play streaming service and so why is so spectrum said okay hey why should we give you all this money now for two years for you to just pack up and leave again in two years so i i i know we're off the tracks here but I, i've been invested in this for the last three or four days i've been reading up on it 
Monday will be interesting. Will ES will Disney, ABC, ESPN balk? I know they're showing the at least one of the two Monday night footballs on ABC, but college football ratings were down 41% across the board. And that's because charter does charter spectrum does not have ESPN or none of its networks, the big 12, the sec, those are all ESPN on channels. So after Monday night, if those numbers are down, I think we, I think we see a, uh, I think we see a deal here pretty soon with over the next week. So there was a look at Monday Night Raw. It was very, very good, uh, top to bottom. Honestly, they're they're firing on all was. cylinders right now. It Over was. on NXT, a couple things to mention. Uh, we had a women's championship match. Tiffany Stratton beats Kiana James. Following the match, Kiana James goes backstage. She's all mad. She gets into it. I got to say, the girl, Roxanne and Lyra, trying <laughs> to, to act back there and like trying to act natural, it was like, this is not how you would just normally be talking. And it just felt so like <laughs> young girls trying to act. Um, it looks like we're going to go with Roxanne with, and Kiana. And that's because Tiffany Stratton is defending her title next week against Becky Lynch. Becky! What do you think is going to happen here? Becky. Oh, you, man. Yeah, what do you look, think happens there? I, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a wonky finish. We know that. There's no one going to get pinned. Tiffany's not going over on Becky. There's no way Becky wins this championship. I would be, I think, I, I, seriously, I think CM Punk has a better chance of showing up on, on Monday Night Raw than Becky winning the NXT championship. But, hey, maybe they run with it, you know, for a bit. I, I, I don't know. I just don't see that happening. I think we get some people involved maybe we haven't seen in a while. Or there's Zoe, there's Shayna, there's, or maybe somebody hire, hire some hench ladies to come in and, and take care of this. But it's going to be very intriguing for them two to score up next uh, next Tuesday because you've got somebody who, who's been in, uh, not been in Tiffany Stratton position regarding holding the NXT Women's Championship, but Becky Lynch started there. And Tiffany's young, and it's getting better and better, and she will be on the main roster before too long. And you've got somebody that's uh, main evented WrestleMania. I, I I think it's very intriguing. I think it's it's going to be the main event next Tuesday on uh, NXT, and I'm going to be there for it. Man, Coop, dragging off. This is my oh, guy. Yeah. This is my that's guy, right. man. He is just the when he talks, I listen. I I think I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be the next NXT champion. I don't know if it's like immediately right now, like the next. Pay-per-view because I know he's got to wrestle um, Against Wesley first and then I'm not sure if they'll have end up having a triple threat Or something along those lines but I do think there's something With Trick and Carmelo That may be played out that may be A story and I think it's going to get to Dragunov I really do I just think yeah, I, I do too. He's he's so good Every week he comes out there when he His promos are so believable he's so Intense the work he's doing in the ring Um yeah, I think it's going to be him. I do. Um, what do you think about the Creed brothers? They're all I'm of a sudden here. It's like yeah. we're back with the diamond mine, right? Yeah, and I, I wanted them honest, to be out. I wanted them to be out of NXT, but for a little bit. But I do think this did feel like a pretty good refresher for the tag team division when they had all these different teams kind of fighting with each other, going at it um, throughout the night. I, I think that the Creed brothers and Tony D and Stax could be a lot of fun. And so, you know what, if they're going to pay a little more attention to the tag division, that should be cool. Um, 
JC Jane is doing the she's like the the uh gothic older sister for Tia Hale now. So Tia's yeah. coming like yeah, I do like this, that. You know what? It's it's gonna be a good story because we yeah, know what'll what happen. happens in school. Like the good girl kind of starts hanging out with the bad. How many Hollywood teenage high school movies slash cruel intentions, all kind of those vibes that we're getting here, Me, right? Exactly. And it's gonna come full circle. And at the very end, she's gonna realize she needs to go back to chase you and Andre Chase. That's when she'll turn, and that's when she probably ends up winning the title. I agree. You know, it'll be a full story that they're telling with her. And you just sort of compare this story to like a a tournament being hot shotted. You know, this yeah, feels yeah. like they've had a plan with her. She's going to face Tiffany for the championship, lose it a couple times. Then she's going to get mad at Andre Chase and Chase U. Then she's going to try to look for others. She's going to get bad influences for a little while. Then after that, she's going to have her full circle redemption. Co- that's storytelling. Like, that's that's storytelling. you got to have a, a whiteboard and map it all out. And I can tell when they're doing it sometimes because the stories are really good. They keep going with the Global Heritage Invitational Tournament. Um, so some matches throughout. Nathan Frazier picks up a win here. Tyler Bate picked up a win over Dabakato. I wanted to mention Dominic because, you know, he gets the booze, but I don't know if enough analysts or maybe people that didn't like Dominic before are giving him credit for how he's growing. The segment he had with Jey Uso on Monday night was fantastic. Yes. Was fantastic on Raw. He was like so serious. AJ, man, our families were same, you know. But he was like, you know, he's a, a just a snossage, right? And you can't trust a word that he says. You but haven't he, used that word in a while. That's a right. I know. I but like he it. he felt so genuine. Hey, man, like I've been in your situation before, and you know, mommy helped me. Everybody hated me, and. The bloodline, you know, they're done, but the judgment day's here for you. It was it was great. And then he's out there wearing the purple. <laughs> he's wearing the rep shirt and he's in the back, he's in the backstage. He's reading through the book of the rep rule of the rule book. And he's like, what? Love it. No, you know, it, it was <laughs> just those little things, man. Again, it's so funny. It's like the the Roderick Strong neck brace after the match. Yeah. You know. It's yeah. a little tiny thing that we're talking about that we're thinking about that makes you go, damn, that person's paying attention to their character work. And, and that's uh, old school territory style that's, looking. That's the that's stuff Andy Kaufman. Yes. Right? Yes. Terry Lawler stuff, right? The like Tennessee, the Mid-South, the, uh-huh. the, you know, the AWAs. Man, that's little stuff like that that would, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan gets burnt by the Freebirds. Yes, you know? I was just going to yeah. say the Freebirds. That's definitely Freebird you know, stuff. And you this type of stuff right here. Wearing eye like, patches. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, you know? it, just, it just gets you more involved in it. You know, it just there. Ali is way more interesting than he's been when he was on the main oh, roster, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like, because he's in good matches here and he plays this stuff where, you know, he just wants to win this title so bad that he acts like he's a nice guy, but then he, no, he'll take a, he'll take a shortcut if it's right there for him. And he's getting like more and more worn down because he hasn't been able to get his title match. So um, Ali picks up a win. Looks like he's going to get the title match now. Against Dom, um, we had Tia get the win over Gigi. I'm, I'm a little worried about Gigi. She just is kind of yeah. Like they, something's not clicking here. <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, they looked like they were gonna go full speed with her, and then they just they've kind of started and stopped it a sucks. few times. It does. It sucks. 
Next week's a good week. They got Stratton versus Becky Lynch, Bate, Tyler Bate versus Axiom, Nathan Frazier versus Akira Tozawa, uh, Wesley versus Dragonoff in a number Ooh. one contenders match, and the Creed Brothers versus Malik uh, uh, Anofe and Blade. So yes. that's a one contenders strong, yeah. strong, strong episode next week. The main event was a no DQ match: Von Wagner versus Braun Breaker. See, I, I think they kind of. They've done. I'm not sure what they were doing with Braun right now. That's my concern because he feels like. Did you not feels, like the ending? Well, no. I thought I, this is fine. I'm just a little. I just want like it would have really helped Vaughn to get a win here, right? But you can't have Braun Breaker just losing to everybody before he leaves, and then you try I'm to sure. pick him up and have him be this stud. I thought the spot where they threw him through the. Through the wall was cool, right? Like yeah. it was, and this was a good moment. Like this was good for Vaughn, um, and and it it did keep him strong. With he lost after Braun uh, uh, hit a a nut shot, right, a low blow there. I I just I almost feel like um, have you seen the can't hardly waste, can't hardly wait, the oh yeah yeah you know Jennifer Love Hewitt or whatever. So yeah. um, the one there's the one guy that graduated. The, the, but he comes back to the party, right? And they're out there in the backyard, and they're talking. And he's like, "Talk." I feel like that's Braun Breaker right now. Like he's <laughs> like he's the year after high school, but he's still hanging around at the high school party. You know what I mean? We all like know the, those guys too. Like right? the high school kids, and you're like, "Dude, you're still going to city college. You didn't get into where you went, and you got it." You know, like that's that's the only problem with Braun I have here. It just feels like he's done everything he needed to do, and it feels like they just. They don't have their plan, or maybe they're trying to get to the Royal Rumble or whenever it's going to be when they bring him up. But it just, I don't know if he's, I think he's doing a good job because his character is great and he's figuring out how to work more as a heel. And these reps are good for him. But I don't know if they do for us seeing him on TV in this space. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm kind of like, I'm wondering if it's good. Like mixed feelings because I like him as this heel. I think he's improving, but is he going to beat people? Like, is he going to go and win the NXT Championship again? I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so either. Uh, it'd be a surprising move. Uh, we thought he was coming up after losing what a couple of months ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the uh, for the title, um, I, I thought the ending was fantastic. Um, it was it was good, man. And and Vaughn, shout out to Vaughn. Shout out to yeah, Stone. I was I was I've been real hard on that guy. We both have – he just was not interesting at all. He was just a big guy who was fine in the ring, like above average for a big, big guy, but nothing special, never really got you in, like interested in him. He, like, looks like a poor man's Big Bill. You know what I mean? Like, he looks like Big Cass-ish, but, like, Big Cass kind of had a character. Now we care about this guy, and it's been because of, of Stone and the story they told, and I could see him being, like – a good big man on the main roster for many, many years. Not like not your world champion, but someone you could slot into a lot of places. He feels like one of those guys where you could put anyone up against Von Wagner, and it's like, okay, he's oh Von Wagner's got a shot here. It's believable. He's like a likable big guy, baby face. You know, he could be like a Kane type worker for years to come on the main roster if he improves. Oh, I I, I agree, um, but. You see how these guys get elevated with competition, right? We're not yep. saying that Von Wagner worked with so-and-so 
last month, and this guy is not any better than Braun. It just it seems to flow better when you have them in 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 something we can get behind. And um, I mean, at this point, I mean, Robbie Stone is uh, Robert Stone, whatever is a is a good sidekick. I've always liked him, but it seems like over the last uh, what a uh, couple of matches that want that Bond has been able to just just hold everything on his own. And Tuesday night spoke volumes of that. So uh, it was an interesting uh, um, ride here for Von Wagner. We always mention how it started. He's the one that ran Kyle O'Reilly basically out. Remember, he like pile driving 10 times at war games or whatever it was. So um, it, it's been a long road, even though it's been relatively short for Bond to get here. But it's been very believable with him and Braun working. Coop a loop, another intriguing week in the world of wrestling. Before we get out of here, it's yeah, NFL man. Week One. It's college coming up. You had a fantastic start to your year uh, baby. last baby. week, man. Giving us just winners, winners, winners. Anything <laughs> on the plate for you this week in the world of college or NFL? Yeah, no NFL for me. I probably will dabble and, and make some bets because I'm just Degeneration X. But I've got three little plays for you. Okay, we're three and zero last week. We had to sweat two of them, but we're three and zero. How about those Colorado Buffaloes? Man, oh, yeah. Oh, man, they lit up TCU, who's eight starters on defense. And, oh, man, they TCU brought in Kendall Bryles as their offensive coordinator. Uh, it was supposed to be the next big thing. And, and seriously, though, every time I thought TCU took the lead, I said, okay, it's over. You know, it's over now. But, man, Colorado shocked the world. They shocked everybody. Deion Sanders is the real deal. Not so fast. Oh, I'm glad you're doing this. I love that you're doing this. Gino, I I have learned uh, over the years. I love weeks like three, two, three, and four, even though this is officially. This is the over and under reaction, and I love this spot. Why is Colorado, who just Beat, not beat the brakes off, but it was an impressive, impressive win over TCU at TCU. Why are they only three and a half home favorites that a sold out crowd against Nebraska, who's been fumbling around and lost to Minnesota last week because they couldn't hold on to the ball? Why are they only three and a half, Gino? Let me tell you why they're only three and a half, Gino, because I believe in trends. I believe in Matt Rule. Okay, look, yeah, it was bad last week against Minnesota. It was. It was embarrassing. I'm glad I didn't have money on that game. But you know what? Everybody is on the Colorado bandwagon. This is – is, I didn't even know who they were playing or what the line was going to be when I was watching the end of that game last week. And my immediate thought was, whoever they're playing next week, I'm taking them against Colorado because the hype is just going to be out of control after a week. And maybe we're wrong, and maybe they're going to be better. But, Chad, a week ago, we were talking about their roster as um, not being deep. And this is the kind of thing that can happen. They might be able to win in some spots. But now this is going to be week two. All of a sudden, one or two more of your guys get hurt. Maybe a lineman or two gets banged up. One or two guys on the defense gets hurt. Did they have the depth? I don't think they do. I think they've got some top-tier talent and a lot of transfers that they brought in. But depth? It in division one top tier programs like this takes years to develop. You need years of recruits at the top, top level, and then you will have 60, 70 guys that you feel comfortable with. 
I think as the season goes on and they start to get a little bit more banged up, it's going to hurt them. This is the absolute play of the week for me this week, too. I'm glad yeah, we're both on and, it. And look, and, and if Colorado blows them out, I'm going to tip my cat to them and say, do it. Okay. But this spread is, is relatively low. Okay. And that's an indication that the Vegas experts see this as a close game. Now, will there be a backdoor cover? Absolutely. Because it's only three and a half. It could happen. Right. I'm not saying Nebraska could win. They could, but I'm going to take the three and a half points. I think that Matt rules got the, you've got film on Nebraska. And I read some crazy trend that a team that is 20 point underdogs in week in one week and they win, not only do they they cover and win they are 0 and 6 against the spread the following week and because so what, and what ends up happening is just like we're saying they they get too overvalued after that one week because everybody jumps on them after that and it's more likely for Regression to the mean to happen Coop we see the same thing at the yes. same First play this week is there anything else you wanted to mention Yeah real quick let me uh, uh, there, There's another one that's not going to Be very popular the Notre Dame fighting Irish there we go Roll, Brother they've been Taking their vitamins They've been eating their Wheaties And working out brothers and saying Their prayers and they have looked like a Well oiled machine for the first two weeks remember they played in quote the week 0.5 over in ireland and they just looked dominant okay nc state struggled last week with uconn that's okay i don't care if they struggle this is another one why is notre dame only a seven point uh favorite in this game it's seven and a half in some books why are they only seven that's really really low to me i just think north carolina have some numbers. I think they circled this game. Um, this is a game I think that's going to be closer. If it is, again, this is why we bet. We stick our necks out. I like NC State to cover here. And one more, Gino. The Texas A&M Fighting Aggies are back. They nice. Out New Mexico. We've got a new offensive coordinator, uh, Bobby Perino, who rides motorcycles and crashes them and chases hookers. And they're going to Miami <laughs> and going to beat the break. Not so fast, my friend. I like the Hurricanes here. Crystal Ball, he's had a, he's had a year. He's got some recruits in. I think it's going to be close down to the wire. It's a good number, too. It's a good it, number. It, 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 it's a good number. I'm going to take the Canes again. I could easily be 0-3, but I'm going to be 3-0 and again this week. Let's do it, Gino. Let's start the season off uh, on some fire, brother. Coop a loop, dropping some knowledge in the world of college football at the Chad Cooper. Give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram, and he'll be here each and every week talking wrestling. And then at the end, he'll give us a couple football plays too. Coop, my buddy, happy belated birthday again to you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and uh, we'll talk next week. Good luck in your football plays, and thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. Um, Good luck in all of your plays out there. Don't go anywhere. So a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. NFL Week 1 Game Previews, Friday and Saturday Racing and Wrestling with Chad Cooper. The schedule will be sort of consistent like this from now on for a lot of the weeks coming up. Keep in mind, we'll still have the Ahsoka recaps early in the week. We'll have more racing early in the week. And we will sort of shift the focus to whatever the major racetracks are. But we'll continue to talk Woodbine 
until they're finished up at the at the end of the the year. So NFL will have some college. You can always join me on Friday night, six o'clock p.m. Eastern time at DRF Sportsbook for the winning ticket, where we talk a little more college football. Thanks to Eric, thanks to Chad, and thanks to all of you for tuning in to another episode. We'll talk again real soon. Fighting for